we are very excited to be here to talk to you guys today hello if you're watching us live uh we do appreciate it when you guys do say hello in the chat uh, if you're hanging out with us we've got a lot to talk about today as you can see if you were watching us uh we do have the Im an image of a manga section from a bookstore um and it is absolutely flourishing and this image um <laughs> thank you aaron i appreciate the 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 uh the the luck um hopefully we get off without a hitch although i guess technically we can we can't say that but this is the best start we've probably had without tyler around uh given that everything seems to be working that being said so uh this week was a big week in comics in on, on comics twitter i should say a post on social media on comics twitter generating over 12 million views from Ursula K. LaChina at Lava Jigga, Lava underscore Jigga, that juxtaposed an image of a manga section in a comic store with the graphic novel slash comic <laughs> section, and I'll I'll show you guys the uh, the the trade section there, um, and you can see there's a big difference, right? Like the manga section is very organized; it's obviously massive. Um, and then the graphic novel section is like this little sliver of the area and, you know, the books are all, you know, different sizes and they're hanging off the shelf and it's just, it's, you know, it's almost like kind of messy. Um, and Ursula accompanied this tweet and these images by saying it is actually so effing over it never even started. That set off... The whole of comics Twitter, as I said, 12 million views, 2.3K retweets, 3.3K quote tweets, and 43K likes. And when you go through this, the comments section of this, you see a lot of people who I feel, and this is really one of the things that I want to talk about. There's a lot we're going to talk about um, as it relates to this, but a lot of people that I feel are relishing and an opportunity to dunk on the comics industry to talk about how it's dying and people almost seem happy about it and that's the part that i don't get yeah it, it when it popped up when it popped up i was confused i'm like what are we comparing um because it's all comics at the end of the day like people are reading what what is why are we dissing one way or the other? And then, uh, and the other thing was like, this is one place, right? This is a single sample size. So this is just maybe the way that this place has found its success or has found the audience that it's in likes more manga. So they're gonna buy. Like we, we, we went to um, Anyone Comics, right? And he gave us a very good breakdown. Dimitrios, the, the owner there, gave us a very good breakdown. It's like, how and why he buys certain books why and how he places them and it was not this necessarily and there's there was this this like uh um this doomsday sort of approach to putting these pictures together that i just frankly didn't understand yeah i i completely agree it's it's very it's very uh weird and you have a lot of people that are talking about look 
Yes, everybody on this podcast, most of our listeners, people that are fans of comics, understand that there are problems with the industry. I think we, we can all agree to that. We all love dunking on comics. We love it. <laughs> it. I mean, it happens on this show pretty regularly, and I think it happens for reasons that are that are good in the sense that we're trying to point out things that the industry needs to change. But those are more back-end problems. Those are more, you know, um, the business side of comics. Yes, it's archaic. Yes, it feels like we are generations behind other industries as it relates to meeting people where they are, as it relates to technology, et cetera, et cetera, right? But there are a lot of people who are focused on the content of comics versus manga. Mm. And this idea that because manga quote unquote doesn't hasn't gone woke, that it's a superior industry. Or that manga is superior. That that manga has uh, a wider spread of things that they're talking about, and that in manga they don't care about, you know, politics or you know, quote unquote politics or anything like that. And I say that's bullshit. I say, oh. I say, yeah, there there is a wider spread of content. That's that. Yeah. Okay. Fine. But. Because it hasn't gone woke, it's more successful? That's stupid. That's ridiculous. I think there's like a misconception there as well because there is a whole manga series about uh, gun control and gun reform in Japan. There are manga about uh, relationships with regards to marriages and sexuality. Um, There's one, every so often a book will pop off in the Discord about like, how do we talk about like uh, or, or should we buy a certain thing right um one called bl metamorphosis where a young girl and this older woman uh bond over bl boy love as like a genre and then just form a friendship but like that's that's discussing sexuality and uh gender perception and like the that from a content perspective is also just bullshit right because you're you're gonna have people and people are gonna want to talk about things and those things can encompass anything political or not yeah exactly it runs the gamut like some of the stuff that you know i've seen you share some of the stuff that you know just we've come across like these are deep stories what was the one book we read i think it was goodbye eerie with the the guy yes yeah like that was a that was a deep story there was a lot of like good stuff mega's not all dragon ball z you know and I feel like a lot of the time when these conversations come up, people are talking about One Piece or Dragon Ball or, you know, Chainsaw Man or whatever, and they're saying, oh, these are these are non-woke, non-political books. All right, maybe so. I haven't read much of those in manga form by any means, so I can't really speak to that. I've watched a lot of Dragon Ball. You know, listen, Goku's not on his soapbox. But we have that equivalent, right? Isn't the equivalent of that the big two? Am I crazy? Like, the equivalent of Dragon Ball, the equivalent of, of One Piece, of Chainsaw Man, would be the big two. The superhero comics that are, you know, just your run-of-the-mill fun fair. Stuff, yeah, teen boys would read. Right, and, exactly. Know, in an ideal market. And and then even I, with... Ideal market. Right, and then even within that, again, not an expert. Even within that, 
you have your superhero stories that, you know, do have Batman or Superman or are written by Tom King but have deeper themes, just like I'm sure that exists in manga. It presents as this big action romp, but there's also important messages underlying, right? Um, like, what was the one uh, It's really popular about... Um, it's about transhumanism and people fusing with uh, technology. It's really, really popular. It's one of the only comic? things I've ever seen. It's a, a manga. Comic? It's a manga and an anime. There's a movie. Oh, man. I don't know. I, I wish... Know. It's so popular. Someone in the chat, help me out. You guys are going to know say like, like Ghost in the Shell? Ghost in the Shell, right? Oh, okay. Good call, self. Thank you. Um, so, so, but we have, like, manga has it. Comics has, or, I'm sorry. Western comics has it. And I correct myself mm. because it's all comics. Yep. 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 So that's the dumbest part of this whole thing, right? It's all comics. And it's frustrating because, yeah, Western comics, not in the most amazing spot ever when you're talking about big two image and beyond. And, it, you know, there are real problems. I think it's weird that people want to take this opportunity to dunk on the industry rather than talk about, like, what can we do? What do people want to see? Mm-hmm. Yep. Or... or... How can we expand the fan base of comics at large? Because it, it is all just comics. And if you can find an entryway via manga versus Western comics, then all that means is we've found a new user. We've acquired a new, a new person into the – we brought a new person into the fold, and the community at large has to be ready to be like, hey, this is the next thing to read. We recommend this versus, right. oh, we're making a distinction – and one is better than the other and oh you're coming in from here well you really should be reading xyz who gives a shit dude like you got a new you have a new reader treat them as you as you would have wanted when you were first coming into into the fold as well because comics manga can be overwhelming so just be somebody to recommend and help yeah yeah i i completely agree and, and I want this conversation, by the way, to be, um, you know, I want listener feedback. I want to know how you guys feel about this conversation or debate or whatever. To me, there's nothing to debate. I really don't feel like there's anything to debate. Um, I think we don't see this anywhere else. I don't feel like where else do we see these kinds of conversations? You know, no one like... Are people talking about this when it comes to movies or television or anything else? I feel like to a degree, you'll get people talking about like gay dramas. <laughs> okay. You know, that are more, I don't know, meaty than, you know, Western TV shows, I guess. Sure. Like just um, Western, Western dramas in general. Yeah. yeah. But I don't, you know. It's just a difference in, in like it's just a difference in flavor, dude. Yeah, that that that's all it feels like. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think there's I think what's the debate. What it really wants to focus on is, you know, what we were speaking about about the back end. Hmm. You know, it's not the content people are arguing about. It's the 
you know, the system, you know, the one of the the massive arguments that everybody says is that, you know, manga starts at chapter one. And, you know, for for superhero comics, you have to weave through 50 million chapter ones to find the beginning. (laughs) But that's not a fault of the medium. That's a fault of the systems that we, Mm. you know. That's a it's a critique on that. Sure. It's also just a different way of telling stories. Like I I I grew up watching soap operas. When I was a little kid, I watched a lot of soap operas. So to me, the idea of a story that doesn't end is not weird. It's yeah. not weird. I don't know when I started watching Days of Our Lives. I have no fucking clue. I don't know what the who the main characters were when I started, and I don't know who they were when I stopped. I just know that the, at the time that I was watching it, I enjoyed it, and I don't understand why people are so obsessed obsessed with the idea that you can't have these kinds of stories. Why not? Maybe it's not your maybe it's not your cup of tea, but I I don't see what the problem is that Batman's story doesn't end. I'm into it, and when I have kids. <laughs> And if, if I would love it, I would love nothing more than for my children to become comics readers and start with Miles Morales, Peter Parker, Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman. Nothing would make me happier the same way I did. Yeah, I'm into it. I, in the in the case of soap operas, having to do I, I have to watch so many now and I've done a ton of research into them and things that the characters reference to me that feels like ancient history only happened like last year sure <laughs> so it's like so you know there are certain things that are like uh yeah the Cree scroll war nobody knows about that nobody cares about that but it's gonna get you know eventually somebody might stumble upon it and and read it again you know later on or use it again and it'll be relevant like it's there to be used because it's already out there right it's a story it's a story that exists and it will exist in perpetuity because marvel's never going to stop publishing it you know and and then maybe there'll be a movie about it and then it'll it'll explode huge again this is all this is all what comics are you know this is all what they've been and i'm not saying it's a perfect system we know it's not perfect there's a lot of problems with it but i don't know I, i don't feel like inherently it's wrong for um for the big two to keep these character stories going in perpetuity i want to read a comment from sanji uh quote i'd say the comic book formula kind of sucks superheroes are the big american comics right but no one cares to read 10 the 10 different stories of a superhero it's overwhelming and feels redundant um i would say that that's that's a, a a personal you know feeling Right. Like clearly there are a lot of people who don't feel that way. The number of people who don't feel that way, unfortunately, is not as high as we would like it to be. But this is an industry that has done this this way. What what we're 50 years deep more more. That. Yeah, that's why it's why you have we're you know, pushing 100. And <laughs> yeah, like in terms of the direct market, you know, we're talking mm. about. 40 to 50 years of the same kind of storytelling. Um, And it's worked for a lot of people. That doesn't mean that there aren't changes that can be made. But when you have an industry run by dinosaurs, whose only 
you know, like basis for what comics should be is the comics that they grew up on. Of course, they're going to keep doing the same thing that they saw. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the interesting pieces of, of conversation that was happening around this was like on cost, I guess, efficiencies where manga is smaller in size, different kind of paperweight, um, black and white. And so it makes it more easily not reproducible, but it makes it more easy to distribute because it brings costs down. And I think there's a, at least for Western comics, there's an attachment to color because it adds a lot of vibrancy. You know, when you think of that, you think of like Jack Kirby and uh, just an explosion there into that. Um, I wonder if you're able to introduce some of that thinking of black and white, uh, different kind of paper stock in order to be able to help um, with spreading and making uh, comics a bit cheaper and a bit more accessible. Like Pals Pulls this past week, uh, we even talked about, uh, we were glad that one of the books that had come out was only like five ninety nine or four ninety nine, whatever it might be, because had it been, uh, had it been been more, we would not have seen as we would not have felt as if it would have been as uh, of more value, and I think that's a really important part of the conversation that I think American comics can take in part from manga. It, it it's interesting because I feel like I feel that the lessons that we can learn from manga are sometimes tough to apply to the industry that we have. Hmm. Uh, you brought up colors. There will never come a time where American audiences will accept a lack of color in their books. It's not going to happen. You can have a walking dead. You can absolutely have a walking dead. But you can't have the whole of DC's mainline books. I don't even think you could have the majority or 20% or any, any sizable amount be that way. Um, it's just a, it's just a cultural difference in what we want out of our books, um, and I think that you know that does increase the pipeline of how long it takes to make a comic. And guess what? You know the the conversation no one wants to have. We talk about it all the time in American books, creators being underpaid. But from what I've heard in manga, that's a huge issue that goes un, unspoken. These people are working like slaves to get these books out. The the berserk guy died at the table. Like, oh shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Like drawing shit, like plotting out whatever. Just that's awful. Um, and it's like to the extent where I think, I think that, but also crediting artists is another big thing because usually you'll have like a team, right? Who yeah. will maybe lay out flats or stuff behind like backgrounds, and then you just have the manga go kind of doing the upfront work, the some of the character work and stuff. Um, but none of those people get mentioned. So I can only imagine they get paid for work and not for royalty and perpetuity afterwards wow. because it's just, hey, we just I just need you to draw this really, really detailed background because I'm not going to do it. Um, you are, and I'll come in, finish up whatever I need to, and then that's it. And that's how a ton of mega creators get started. Yep. Doing, being those background guys. Yeah. 
it's a di- it's a different industry with different expectations yeah. on the audiences. Like if 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 we heard about a creator who died working on their book, let's like let's like for example, Clayton Cowles. I'm convinced Clayton Cowles is <laughs> a slave to Marvel and DC Comics, right? I'm convinced he's in a basement somewhere chained. He only works. If Clayton Cowles died, right? Lettering Tom King's next 12 issue epic, right? We'd see a massive outcry. There would be huge changes and things that would get talked about. People would be really, really mad if Clayton Cowles died working on a Tom King comic book. Dude, who's gonna Who's gonna letter, bro? <laughs> like, right. Like half the books out being published right now are, are not gonna have a letter. And yeah, exa- now the whole industry collapses because Clayton Cowles is gone now. <laughs> Poor Clayton Cowles. That's it's a it's a very very different culture. Yeah. Yeah, Sil Sil pointed out that Japan also has a ton of unhealthy work uh, attitudes towards work in general that are slowly starting to change. Um, I don't know from my white guy point of view perspective. (laughs) You guys are there's so many good comments. I'm really enjoying this conversation. And by the way, if we disagree with you, you know, it's not a. This is just a conversation. There's no uh, no malice or anger. uh, Sanji makes a good point. Manga has something called Shonen Jump, where all the stories for the week will be put into one booklet for ten or fifteen bucks. This is something that I have always, always, always felt would be good for Marvel or DC to adopt. And in fact, it's not—it's not that crazy of an idea that they could, because I think, based on what I know about the way comics were done before I was born. You had a lot of things like uh, Marvel 2-in-1, for example. Um, even now you get these anthology stories where it's like, here's this really big story written by a creator you really want to read a story from, and then several other smaller stories uh, from creators who are maybe lesser known who are trying to make their bones, right? Mm. So I like stuff like that. I think stuff like that is smart. Stuff where it's like, oh, here's Marvel 2-in-1. Here's um, you know, a, a, a Captain America story. And then we're also giving you a story about, I don't know, a character who's lesser known with with a lesser known creative team. Or you can even do where it's like, hey, here's uh, random books. X-Men number one, Avengers number one, She-Hulk number one, and Miles number one, right? All in one package. And you can buy that at a reduced price from what it would have cost you to buy them all individually. And you get a sampler. That's what Shonen Jump is. Shonen Jump is essentially a sampler. I used to read it every month when I was a kid. There used to be um, in the UK, and I'm not sure if there still is, uh, there used to be magazines like that with sort of random selections. You could follow uh, bits and pieces of storylines. I think they have like, you know, the main ones that would sort of continue uh, in a month, but then they'd have, you know, bits and pieces of uh, every. Um, Every interesting thing, you know, number ones, old issues, you know, um, and that's exactly what you're describing. I mean, that's the um, like, uh, what is it? House of Secrets, House of Mystery, like where wherever Swamp Thing first popped up, like you had smaller stories therein, but of different characters, uh, Detective Comics, right? That was the whole thing was it was a put out a different swath of books before Batman popped off on one of them and from there spun out into its own thing like all of that 
was the way to get people to read because yeah it helped on uh production costs it got more story out there bang for your buck by the way you guys are so sweet telling people to hit the like button on youtube really appreciate (laughs) that and i agree you should hit the like button if you're watching if you're enjoying that would be really helpful um yeah and 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 it's worth pointing out right in fairness that dc tried to do literally exactly what we're talking about not that long ago with the walmart books and guess what the market rejected them the market rejected them so what can you do not that it was perfect go ahead was it not well received Mm -mm. i so i we we talked about this on the show recently where dan didio talked about that initiative the walmart initiative and he said that it actually wasn't even worth walmart doing it because the price was too low because in a store everything you see is basically ad space and if the if the product can't sustain itself by paying for that ad space you know hey we could have this five dollar you know dc sampler right that some people will pick up or in that same place we could put a toy section of dc toys where every single toy is 15 dollars or more mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. and and dan said it, it just it just financially it didn't make sense for walmart to even do it and they put it in weird places yes i remember and, that yeah and so it if it, it ultimately didn't work i think that the messaging for something like that is probably hard for a marvel or a dc to pull off because of the conditions of the industry that have existed for so many years. And let's not forget this point. Who has the buying power in comics? In Western comics? Yep. It's people that don't need that. Yep. That's exactly what I was going to say. Because a, a, a big complaint was that, you know, what, you know, everything Sean listed, nobody could find them. But also, you know, they were there to try to activate new comics readers. But the old collectors would just come buy them all you know as as relics of the of the uh, the variant comics boom the variant covers boom and you know for the the they would try to get the you know the ebay money off of it right exactly it, exactly it, it became just another uh area for speculation yep. in the industry yep and 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 that's something that we talk about on this show a lot is how the speculators basically drive the market and when you look at the amount of variant covers that get produced for a random book i mean my god listen to the interview i did with um kyle starts he talks about how you know even for his dc book that's coming up which is peacemaker and he's an up-and-coming writer it's not like we're talking about tom king for his book peacemaker they said who do you want to do variants for it he was like um uh, and he's thinking about people he knows that he could probably convince to do a variant off the strength, right? And they're like, well, uh, well, would you like... Um, I'm just going to throw a name out there because I can't actually remember. Would you like uh, Russell Dodderman? And he's like, well, yeah, but he's not going to do it. And then they're like, okay, cool. And then down the road, there's a Russell <laughs> Dodderman variant that he didn't ask for because they have the ability to pay these artists big money to do these variants. Why? Because they know that that is what is going to sell. Yep. And the, the sale of that variant is baked into the production cost of the book. 
It's baked into mm. what they think the book is going to sell. The variant cover is baked into what they think it's going to sell. That's not good. Wow, that's interesting. It's not good. It's not a good sign. Because then at that point, so then wait, at that point, could you could you argue that because of the variance, they're inflating the price to some degree? Yeah, dog. Every, the, everything, yeah. They're inflating the, the amount of production. They're inflating the price. They're inflating the, the sales when they represent the sales. Those are inflated because it's variance. We do not know. The comics industry is the only industry, in my opinion, that does not actually know the amount of people that read or engage with the product because you cannot tell if i buy two copies of the new peacemaker book that's coming out and i buy the russell Dodderman cover that doesn't actually exist and i buy the main cover that's two sales i'm one person what if i buy seven yep well yeah right yeah well uh, for them who cares because they're, they're just looking at the volume right but so... then but then what if I bought those seven thinking that the Russell Dauterman's going to sell for $300, right? And then it doesn't. And then I say, wow, I just invested all this money in these variants that aren't selling. I'm never doing that again. Mm. So I was seven people. I, I, was, I, was, I bought seven comics. Now I'm gone. Yep. Right? So how often is that happening? Or, yeah, or, or you, weren't, you were never there as a reader. Exactly. Right? So, so you get a misappropriation of how many people are interested in the book, and you're like, "Oh, Peacemaker's crushing," um, and hopefully for cows, you know, cow's sake, like it's gonna do well. But like, of that, of the amount of people who will buy just for the variant, you're also not getting a good read on who cares about the book. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's bro. Draw the line at two ninety nine, bro. <laughs> um, it's it's a major problem that you know, isn't going away anytime soon. I want to tell a quick story. Uh, Peace Momoko. You guys obviously know her. Oh, yeah. She Love. does tremendous work. Tremendous variant covers. Probably the hottest variant artist in the industry. Uh, she wanted to do, on Sunday at New York Comic Con this past year, 2022, she wanted to do a, basically for her fans... I, I believe the number was $20, but it was a very cheap number, whatever it was, for, it for was hers. 50. 50? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She wanted to do $50 sketches for her audience, for her fans. And so they said, line up, and, you know, whenever she's at her table, whenever she's ready, she'll get that started. So the line starts to fill up before, like, at 8 a.m., like, right when, I mean, you guys know the show's not even on at that time. Yeah. At 8 a.m. Who's inside New York Comic Con at 8 a.m.? Vendors. Exactly. And so her husband says, hey, listen, this is actually just for fans. We're not even started the line yet. We This is not what this is for. It causes a whole argument and beef to the point where Peach Momoko leaves Comic Con and stops offering that deal and probably will never offer it again. Damn, she dude. probably shouldn't. <laughs> like, I thought. I thought. I, I thought. I read that there was a fight in line too. Like, there was. Between, there was. Yeah. There between was like an actual fan and a vendor. Yep. Yeah. There was a lot of problems. It was a. It yeah. was a big, big problem. Yo, we got the tea in your Comic Con. We really did. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> I felt like. Um, 
I felt like uh, Rich Johnson from Bleeding Cool. People telling this <laughs> shit. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. in the bathroom stall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to to plan three kingdom, uh, Chase point um, was says a hawk girl number one is about to sell crazy and not because people want to read it. Oh yeah, like, it's gonna be the first hawk that's girl why. book, and 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 that's the value that it brings, not the that, story. That's why they do so many number ones. Yeah. Yep. We have a problem in this industry that's not going away, and it has nothing to do with manga. It has nothing at all to do with the manga industry or competition from them. They both can exist. They both mm -hmm. have existed. It's not a problem. This is not a war. It's a, The only problem is our own industry and how it deals with itself and how it welcomes in new readership. How many people in our community, right, like the Comics Palace community, have left essentially the 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 primary way that you buy comics which is going to the bookstore how many people have exited that because of some douchebag who runs the comic book store and doesn't want to sell them a miles morales book because he's black you know or 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 tells them ah don't buy dc dc books suck because they have a vendetta against dc for what dc did three years ago at the start of the pandemic are you mm -hmm. fucking kidding me we have an industry run by children Spiteful people. Middlemen. <laughs> we have an industry run by middlemen. That yeah, that, that thing that Dandidio said about the the store owners being the ones that actually control what you read. Yep. Was it blew me away. Yeah. It's 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 insane. The comic collector says comics aren't even close to ever competing with manga. I mean look. I don't know if I would use the word ever because things happen in cycles, right? Um, ebbs and flows occur. But I would say that as an industry, comics has a lot of problems that preclude it from growing that manga yeah. doesn't have. Manga has an easy pipeline for people. Anime turns on a lot of people to the manga. We don't have that same thing working in comics. The oh, movies don't... Yeah. The movies don't drive people to the stores and droves the way people might think it does we know that for a fact you might see a bump a little bit of a bump on you know a number one a number one you see it a lot in trades yes i will say that you see the bump in trades after a big movie comes out but week to week comic sales no <laughs> and then and then if you're dumb enough to say hey i want to go to the comic shop now that I saw Infinity War and it was so cool and knocked my socks off, I want to go to the comic shop and see like what more I can find with these characters. And you go in and the manager's like, I'm not gonna sell you. You don't need that. You should look at you should look at DC instead. Marvel's too woke. DC, you, you know, you should read that. <laughs> and then you leave but the even, store. But even then, say you get your hands on a copy of Infinity War, Infinity Gauntlet, whatever. Uh, by the way, you'll have to pick one, and maybe right. that's the one you're looking for. It's a completely different story. It's a completely different book with completely different characters and a completely different focus. <laughs> oh, man. You're, you're absolutely right. I'm laughing because uh, To Plan Kingdom said, and you and then you buy Infinity Warps, which <laughs> I remember that stupid shit. And I, didn't, I don't think I bought a single copy of that. Um, that was the one where, like, if I remember correctly, they took, like, 
two characters and fuse them together or something like that. So it's like Doctor, like Doctor Strange and Iron Man fusion or something like that. I think that's, I think that's the one. What? I don't know about that? Yeah, just <laughs> bad ideas. Um, if you guys want to find, because there's so many comments, like it's unbelievable. If you guys want to find a couple more really good ones, um, as we you know close out this conversation, um, I, I, I think it's a shame. You know that people are so seem to be so invested in the downfall of comics. Um, I, I really do. You know, DC like has celebrating it. Yeah, DC has tried, um, and I, I credit them a lot more than I do Marvel because they've branched out more um, in the YA market. They tried with Walmart. You know, they've done a lot of things that just simply haven't worked out for a lot of reasons. Up on the screen right now. I have the, the, the Wayne family. Well, it's populating, but I have the Wayne family adventures um, that was on Webtoon and is now actually being brought to uh, comics. They're, they're printing it out. Oh, um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's not just this one. It's it's three different um, three of the Webtoon offerings that they had. They're now going to be um, putting out. It's the Wayne family adventures. It's Vixen NYC. Um, and and so and so they're, they are doing this initiative which is super cool. Um, and, and the other one is Zatanna and the Ripper. And they're all coming out and they're all going on sale. And that's great. But it's not enough. It's not enough. I don't know what well, enough is, but that's not enough. Yeah. I think um, I think this is that as an idea to introduce like a new audience was really cool, right? But they that audience is going to stick onto that platform because that is the format that they're comfortable with, right? And so that that's not going to translate into, oh, cool, I read this here, now I want to buy it in print because those are two different audiences, one who reads only digitally on Webtoons, which is a whole different experience for right. that. So I, I wonder even how they're going to translate that into a comic because you need to fill out panels, not swipe through instances. Exactly. Right. It, it's not even the same it's not even the same delivery system. It's not, you're yes. not, that's not publishing this Wayne family adventures is nice, but it's not meeting the needs of manga readers or webtoon readers. Um, mm. I, but, but again, I don't know how to do that. I don't, I don't know how to do it. I don't think DC or Marvel know how to do it. And I also think that at the end of the day, people who want to read superhero comics, know they exist they know how to get them if they want them but there's something about this industry that is not activating readers dan didio said two generations of comics readers lost lost i say three how do we make that up you know who knows hmm. our lost hero the one that's been missing for so long we ridiculed him but frankly he should come back he can bridge the gap between comics and manga and he can you know oh god <laughs> he he can he can save the industry guys we gotta find akira yoshida <laughs> <laughs> only he can help solve this crisis but you know it's... what go ahead <laughs> You're making okay. a joke, but I am a little bit surprised that. Um, see, now I want to say. Now I want to say that uh, I'm a little surprised that CB Sabolski 
Yeah. <laughs> hasn't done. <laughs> hasn't done. Oh my god. I'm never gonna say that other name on this podcast again. Now that I know that Gail Simone listens. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. I, <laughs> Shit. I am. It is. Hell. It is surprising to me that CP Sabolski, who does have a lot of know-how about you know Japanese culture and the, you know that side of the industry, that he hasn't sort of tried more. And maybe maybe it's not up to him, but to bridge that gap, I'm surprised yeah. that that hasn't happened. That unification, yeah. man. Yeah. I have a, a a question, and it's tangentially related, but not wholly. In when I was in comic book school in 2013 14, and right around that time and after, even in the time we started doing this, I feel like there was like people who were into comics had like this deep, passionate love for comics and like talking about comics and like talking about the format of comics and the medium of comics and what comics did, and you know how they work and i feel I, I was thinking about this recently because i've sort of been transitioning into like tv writing and film writing and screenwriting and podcast writing like um all this is scripted by the way you guys um <laughs> you, you listeners might not know that but um i feel like no one is doing that anymore mm. i you know i don't know if it's if it's that if it's that the love is gone or maybe the love has changed uh maybe maybe the pandemic beat it out of us um i just found that interesting wait no one is doing what no one is really talking about comics in the way they were in 2013-14 in in that there was this like real passionate crowd dissecting comics and you know you could find scripts super easy and figure out what people were doing and mm. you know um people just love comics and i'm not saying you know the comics are you know, the fans are gone but there's this there's this i don't know this passion that 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 feels like it's changed that that those years were when i started becoming like an activated weekly reader because that was just as new 52 was like ramping up like right after 2011 um and started yeah and that's when like i entered that market from just looking back and reading um uh like going through, you know, classics like Dark Dick Returns or uh, also Superman, but like focusing on uh, going to the store more often. Like that's when I became that activated reader. So I don't know if it was because of that larger initiative that was surrounding the comics conversation at the time. Um, I don't know that there's one now because with, you know, the fall of 5G, uh, maybe this this new wave of DC stuff that's been coming at the dawn of DC books. Maybe that's if it hits. Maybe that it will entice those kind those kinds of people again. It, maybe it might reactivate people or activate people who are interested and have been interested but haven't picked up a weekly. And I think that's where that might be. 
Yeah, <clears throat> I, I I agree, Kale. I think that there is a. Um, I think bitterness is a great word. I think there's a lot of bitterness. Um, and I think there are a lot of frustrated people. I think a lot of people who, you know, might have loved a certain book or a certain concept, DCU, you know, whatever it was, you know, right. that took chances on books like Prez and others, Omega Men, who are upset that that level of risk is hardly taken. That mm. level of providing a different style. Like, look, I didn't like DCU. <laughs> that was not for me. But I will not sit on the show and deny that a lot of people did love what was happening at that time. And yeah. that's not happening anymore. You know, look at the, what was the biggest, what was the biggest success? Uh, Batman, uh, Batgirl at Burnside, right? Yeah, yeah. That was a huge success. People yeah. to this day, I mean, like that's that's sort of like the defining Batgirl now. And where's the DNA of that? Yeah. You know, you would think you get something good, you run with it. Maybe maybe you could parlay that into Batgirl as one of the the, the premier DC characters and not Harley Quinn. Mm. But DC DC saw all that and they said, ah, whatever. We'll we'll we'll, we'll yeah. do Harley Quinn five times in film. And in that same time span, give you zero Batgirl. In fact, we'll cancel the Batgirl. <laughs> Get it back for tax return. Get that budget. Yeah. I also think that was also like the early days of the movies. So, you know, people were still excited about Marvel and the possibilities of everything. Um. Comic Boom has been bringing up a good point about yes. cost. Yeah, that was that was also one of the big initiatives was draw the line at two ninety nine, right? Yeah. And since then, it has only inflated in cost. He has a he has a point in chat. You know, comics are simply too expensive. Um, and who is to say that comics should not become extinct? Video games and other forms of entertainment are better and cheaper. Like we've talked about, you know, the the bang for your buck. You buy a six dollar, five dollar comic book. You read it for fifteen minutes and that's it, right? That is the experience, and that was your your cost therein. Um, but I think, to his other point here, passion is tied to cost. Like I can love a thing, but if I don't have the ability to invest into it, then you know I I, I have to decide whether or not it is enough of a priority to want to spend the extra the extra money there on that, or just something else, man. You know, like and I, I think that's a I think it's a good point to bring up is that that inflation of cost is also prohibitive well i refer back to dan didio dan didio said hey we know who our audience is we know it very well we have created this audience and so if we're going to keep a book at 299 and we're playing to the same audience regardless why would we sell that same audience a book at 299 we could sell them that same book at three ninety nine. The exact same people are going to buy it. And if we lose a few people along the way, that extra dollar is making up for the loss. And he said that was the strategy. But what happens when you keep raising the price and alienating more people? Now you're selling a, 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 a you know a hundred dollar comic to ten people to make the same amount of money you're making by selling the two ninety nine comic to however many. Yeah. And you just keep shrinking and shrinking and shrinking your audience. Now, I agree that the cost of comics 
the cost of comics is prohibitive for a lot of people. Out of control. But I would also argue, how does the comics industry sustain itself if the price stays low, you have to pay the writer, artist, colorist, letterer, editor, and then who else knows all the mechanisms, right? Off yeah. that same two ninety nine, three ninety nine. Yeah, their they, wages, right? Their wages ain't going up either. Yeah. Yep. It's not even like, it's not even like Marvel and DC. Like in my mind, right? It's not even like they're trying to increase their profits because they can't. To, for them to, for everybody to eat. Right for everybody who works on the book and the company to eat off of the sale of an individual comic, it probably needs to be more than five dollars mm. for everybody to be happy. But how can you do that? And that's why so many creators have jumped ship, and now they're working for themselves or they're doing Substack because yep. you control, you get more of that dollar if they're still in the industry. Right? Yeah, they might even be diversifying. So many, how many creators? Say, oh yeah, I'm doing books now, or I'm doing, or I'm doing television. What's Grant Morrison doing? Not comics. Yep. Although Brian they Edward. are coming back from for the multiversity thing, but like, yeah. Brian Edward Hill, yeah. Yeah, writing uh, Power Rangers movies. He's the one. He's the one that inspired me to branch out. <laughs> it's insane. Look, I don't want this to be a whole doom and gloom conversation. Obviously, we've talked about a lot of the problems of the industry. Um, I, for me. I'll never stop reading comics. As long as there are comics to be read, I'll be reading them. And I suspect yep. that a lot of the people that read comics are feeling that same way because otherwise, why the hell are you here? You know, the same the same thing people say about creators, which is you got to love it to do it because it ain't for the money. I feel the same way as, as a fan. I read it because I love it. I, I would not be happy just going to the movies and watching them or watching the shows and not keeping up with the stories and the books. I wouldn't. To me... It's the greatest form of entertainment. I love nothing more than comics. But does the industry have a tremendous problem? Yes, it does. And one last point. One final point that I want people to know. Comics in the West isn't even just the big two, image, any of that. What's the best-selling comic book? Dogman. So hey, do, do kids do kids read comics? Yes, they sure fucking do. And my biggest hope... For this industry is that Marvel and DC or someone else figures out how to take a 12-year-old who loves Dogman and turn them into a comics reader for life. That's it. Yep. 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 And and to, to an earlier point, DC has been making strides in that YA audience because they understand that, right? That is an immediately addressable, large addressable market that will then lock somebody in long term. Yeah. Exactly. And all it takes is one. For me, it for me it started with the TV shows and then I got a random comic and I was like, "Well, I'm in." Mm -hmm. All it takes is one. Thank you guys for being so great during that conversation. So many comments. Really appreciate it. If you enjoyed that conversation, do make sure that you hit the like button if you're watching on YouTube. Leave us a follow or a subscription wherever you're at. Um on Twitch, you can give us your twitch prime subscription which is free for you and it, it puts a few dollars in our pocket so we do always appreciate that uh we have a lot of show to do today a lot a lot of show and we burned an hour on this conversation so um <laughs> good combo <laughs> yeah very great conversation i'm glad we had it we have had quite a week 
We've had quite a week at the Comics Pals. Um, so, for those of you who don't know, we hit 1,000 subscribers on YouTube as of uh-huh. Wednesday. Wow. Wow. It's many years in the making. Some would argue it took too long. But over the last two years, we've seen an incredible amount of growth. The last year. The last Last year. year. Yeah, Yeah. not even two years. The last year. We've seen a tremendous amount of growth. It's all thanks to you guys. It's thanks to, you know, obviously our hard work as well. But you guys supporting us, showing up for the live stream, showing up in the chat, you know, Patreon support, just everything top to bottom has been so incredible and we really appreciate it. I see the congratulations. Thank you so much. It means a lot. Um, Whether you've been with us for all five years or six years or whatever it is, or you're new in the last week, I don't care. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Um, We have so much more to come. You guys know we're interviewing Jeff Johns again. On April 1st. It's not a joke. That is really happening. Yep. <laughs> not <laughs> It just happens to be on the 1st. Yeah. Um, we are. The, the, the only joke is that we played it that way, and that's just how it happened. It was a joke <laughs> on us, really. <laughs> the, the truth on my part is uh, I, I couldn't wait. I didn't want to wait the extra week. I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. I just want. Junkyard Joe finishes that week. It felt perfect, and, uh, you know, that's what we're going to do. So. You know, we do have that coming on the horizon. It's going to be a big interview, big celebration for us. Um, and we want you guys to be a part of it as much as possible. We are running the Jeff Johns giveaway, the Geiger giveaway. If you want to partake, all you have to do is, is be a subscriber on YouTube, a follower on Twitch. Submit a question to us for Jeff Johns in any way, anywhere you can. The best place to do it for our purposes is to email us at thecomicspals.gmail.com. Um we will enter the names of everybody who submits a question or comment for Jeff that is respectful into a randomizer. The person whose name comes out of that is the winner of the Geiger trade. We will send that to you. It should be possible for us to send to anybody who is in any part of the world because we're just going to order it on Amazon or whatever and send it right to your door. Or maybe we'll order it from a, a local shop that has that capacity you know, just so that we're not uh, going through the evil empire of Amazon. Um, but but that's the plan. That's the goal. So if you want to partake, hit our line, send us a message. We'll get that taken care of. Yeah, and uh, check out our tweet in case you missed the, the rules for that. It's all laid out there. It's pinned. So in case you need further clarity, it's there. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So that's one piece. That's one piece. There's another piece. One piece. What? Not, not that. Not that. There, there's as many issues of one piece as we have subscribers. Yo, where? No, probably more. I, I, I think we might have beaten one piece actually by now. Did we beat one piece? I think we might have. Oh, wow. If only recently hit 1,000. Well, that's a huge event because we beat, we blew right past a thousand like that day and over the last day yeah gail simone who i love i'm assuming kale you're also a fan marco i don't know your familiarity who gail simone overnight tweeted about us that she enjoys our show and that led to several more follows several more subscriptions on youtube and twitch so 
it's really incredible to see all the support and love that we're starting to get. It, 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 when, when I think about like, shit, when I think about when we started this, right? And like, we weren't live, we weren't anything. We're getting like a few listens here or there. and We're talking into the void pretty much, right? Yeah. Black hole. Exactly. For us to get real-time reaction to every single thing we do is just remarkable. It's nuts. Seeing, uh, seeing that tweet come through. So like, uh, I was playing Birio Kart yesterday. It's a drinking game related to Mario Kart. And that thing popped up on my screen. I'm like, oh, damn, I'm fucked up. Like, I <laughs> what? I'm hallucinating a tweet <laughs> yeah. right now. <laughs> I was like, what? And then I had to like, I'm like, oh, shit, that was real. Dude, I woke up to that shit. I was like, what the yeah, hell is too. going on? That's yeah, me too. It's crazy. Uh, Dan, Dan Trudeau accurately points out this is the first monetized episode of the Comics Pals. Uh, there so it is. That's pretty cool. Although, again, you know, beyond monetization, we've we've been supported by you guys on Patreon, you know, and, and, that, and that feels incredible. Um, Atomic Count says more subscribers than issues of Action Comics. That Let's is go. wild. Whoa. That's wild. I love that. And that's true. And I just hope that never changes. Detective, too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Hell yeah. We're outpacing those books. Eat eat that, DC Comics. <laughs> We're more popular than Superman and Batman. Facts. Wow. Yeah. That's completely wow. true. Putting it out there right now. Um, there's another milestone that we hit. Are, Tyler, I mean, Tyler said it right on Thursday because the the he, yeah he said aloud. I thought he said it on the show. Probably. Well, we hit a thousand on TikTok as well, which was huge for us. We had a super viral um, video, the clip of us talking about the the pro registration, like who in DC would be pro reg. That shit yeah. went viral. We got eighty thousand views on TikTok, and it led to us. Um, getting over the hump over there too so just an incredible week and we're, we're kind of like gushing about ourselves but you know how often do you hit so many milestones back to back it feels good so not for and, nothing too tyler won't do it but uh i want to sing his praises because that tiktok business is all him yeah we yep. have we have pride between the three of us and previously between the five of us we have tried so hard to make ourselves get into social media and do it. And then Tyler came on and my man said, yeah, no sweat. I got it. <laughs> he's, he's literally like, hey, can I do a thing? Uh, yes. Dude, will it get us eyeballs? Don't care. <laughs> you you guys have heard me, you know, rag on Tyler on this show. Um, but, you know, I could I could do a whole podcast episode about how much I love Tyler. So. You know, it's never personal. And what Tyler has done, this means more to me than a lot of other things in my life. And what Tyler has done to revitalize this is incredible. So I'll it's never be. Game. Yeah, yeah, I'll never be anything less than thankful. King. 100%. Uh, where's the, where's the champagne? You listen, I have, I have champagne. I have, I have champagne. Should I pop a bottle? Do I have champagne? Got champagne. Should I pop a bottle? Should we take a break and grab some champagne real quick? Uh, listen. Not not this second. Yeah, we're in yeah, the middle yeah. of not this. Yeah, second. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, quickly. I owe a backflip. Oh. Now it's not going to happen this week. However, because I was supposed to go visit the set of a soap opera this week, um, 
That's not going to happen. But next week, I will yeah. have a backflip. Yo, Catherine stars full caps. You do. <laughs> I will. I will have a backflip. I will not be here. And you will be here. There will be a backflip. I want it. I want well, it. The listeners that, want it. <laughs> that wasn't. That wasn't. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't really an either or. It was. I will have a backflip. I won't be here. Oh, 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 oh. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, you do have to schedule a backflip. How many people in this fucking community could just bust a backflip out out of nowhere? Not me. (laughs) Not me. I don't even think I could could get my body to agree to do it, let alone, like, actually complete it successfully. I'm still, that's the part I'm still working on. Yeah. Uh, Sanji says Tyler winning comics pal of the year for 2023. Listen, I just wanted to get myself over. We're not going to do it again. Okay. I don't need anybody else winning that award. No, I'm just kidding. I would have, I would have voted for Tyler if we could have voted. So I, I, I agree with you. Um, we've, we've got a lot, we've got a lot more show to do. I want to, I want to extend a little bit more. Thanks to those of you on patreon patreon.com slash the comics pals is the absolute best way to support the show for as little as three dollars a month uh which is less you can you can get it's less than what kale this copy of john york's into the woods which has changed my screenwriting life Mm. it talks about the five-act structure and it's fundamentally made me a better writer it is 9.99 in the great 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 British pound currency, which frankly is too much. <laughs> Yo, I I love that he just ready, ready for that. That was so good. He but- he caught he caught me on on Thursday, and I was mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can get access to our newsletter. You can get access to voting in the book club poll that goes up every single month. We are going to be doing Far Sector actually as a result of the book club poll that's what you guys voted for so we'll be doing nk jemison's dc standout book far sector um you also get a nickname and a shout out on this very podcast so uh i do want to say thank you to thunderstruck rebecca alejandro the night stalker harris najinsky brian demolisher del pozo random rocio Kefis the Incorruptible, The Great Destroyer, Hyper Viper 89, Momentum Mike Elliott, Starcross Catherine Stars, The Hound of Justice, Atomic Hound, Dan The Truth Trudeau, and Joel Justice. Thank you all so much. You are phenomenal. Appreciate you being our pals. We've got a merch store. If you want to buy Comics Pals merch, we're selling shirts, we're selling mugs, we're selling, we've got bomber jackets, we're selling bras, we've got socks, we've got everything. Uh, we've got stickers. You can put you can put magnet, not magnets, but like stickers of us. Up I think I think we fridge. do have magnets. We do have magnets. I need a magnet. magnet. I think yep, so. Yeah, magnets. Yep. I need a Marco's Muckhole magnet. How about that? Yo, same. I, I ordered a sticker. Sick. I'll put that yeah. on my toilet. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got a lot on offer. If you want to watch this show live, you can do that on Twitch and YouTube every single Saturday at ten fifteen a.m. Eastern. Watch Pals Pulls. That's our comics review show every single Thursday at six p.m. Eastern. Um, we've got some listener questions, so I want to run through those real fast before we get into the news and we are doing twilight of the superheroes 
Alan Moore's greatest superhero story never told. We are on part three of our deep dive. Today we're going to be looking a little bit further into the different houses that we talked about last week. We've got more houses to talk about. And maybe you've been wondering, where's Batman? We haven't talked about Batman. So we will be talking about Alan Moore's plans for Batman in Twilight of the Superheroes today. And I promised we would have images and I have at least an image to show yeah. you guys of an artist's <laughs> rendition. Not just any artist, but a collaborator of Alan Moore. Of what, oh, that's right. What they thought some of these characters might look like. So it is one image. I don't want to get your hopes too high, but it's an image that features a few characters. So you will get a little bit of an idea. So, But here, but here are the listener questions. First up from Joel Justice. This was actually a... Uh, a, a PM to me, a private message to me. So hopefully, Joel, you don't mind me reading this, but I felt like it was a generic enough question that it could fit the show. Why do you think the comic book industry finds it hard to be representative of people and innovative? And what do you think is the most innovative thing the comic book industry has done since you've started the podcast? For context, Joel's been listening to older episodes of our show, and we talked a lot back then about a lack of diversity and innovation and uh you know how stagnant things felt and he's asking what has changed in the comics industry since we started um and i actually have an answer for that and i'll i'll give mine while you guys think a little bit because obviously you two have been here since the start as well um in my opinion the biggest thing that i can say first of all i think the industry is still stagnant in a lot of ways i don't think the industry is tremendously different in in positive ways since we started this show i will say thanks to cb sabolsky there's a lot more represent overseas representation at marvel there's definitely a lot more asian representation i think the fact that marvel ha appears to have a, 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 a i mean this in an affectionate sense a stranglehold on peace momoko art and work mm -hmm is a direct result of C.B. Sabolsky's involvement and position as editor-in-chief. And I think that there are a lot of other creators that are there under C.B. that wouldn't be under someone else. So I think diversity has improved at Marvel specifically. I also think we see more women in prominent roles. When we started this podcast, you didn't necessarily have the Teeny Howards of the world. You didn't necessarily have the Leia Williams of the world writing prominent books at a Marvel or a DC, so I'm really happy about that. We've also kicked out a lot of trash because Eddie Braganza's gone, and Eddie Braganza mm. um, is, you know, allegedly a sex pest and a predator who kept women out of certain areas of DC Comics editorially. Edit editorially speaking, women were not allowed to pass through the Superman um, books, which was a springboard typically into bigger projects so mm -hmm. we lost maybe a generation or more's worth of women in comics in an on an editorial standpoint we got to figure more women in edit in editorial spaces would hire more women right not because of any agenda just because they would have they their scope would be wider and so that didn't happen um so i think the industry has become a lot more friendly to diverse voices i also think we've seen initiatives to try to diversify the readership dc's done a lot of ya stuff that has had success we've seen the marvel voices books the dc pride books 
that's a lot of new initiatives on their part. All that's wonderful. And I'm very happy about it all. We're not where we need to be. Um, we're not as progressive as I wish we were. The Luke Cage City on Fire thing was a huge blow, I thought. And I think we're still letting the wrong people make decisions and flex their buying power. And we're not doing enough to move away from that. The last thing I'll say is just um, it's been beautiful to see how much Kickstarter has helped the industry. Um, yep. So many books that get kickstarted that wouldn't have books that wouldn't have found a home. I think that's been tremendous as well. Um, those are all positive. One single negative, one negative I wanted to point out that I forgot about, Comixology being gone. Big negative. As much yeah. as I don't read digital, no Comixology, bad for the industry. Yeah, that's that's a big one. Um, the um, In the time that we've done the show, there was a massive Comixology boom. And now it's just crumbled away. Yeah. Um. So that's yeah, that's a, a massive, massive negative in 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 that time. Uh, one thing I wanted to shout out was the uh, the recent distribution shakeups with oh, yeah. uh, yep. DC and um, you know starting their own um, uh, distribution companies as well as uh, Marvel and several other companies shifting to bigger distribution platforms uh penguin random house yeah um and you know others uh i think that's huge i think that it will be i guess my hope is that that will be good for comic book stores in the long run but i think even just for the medium i think that'll be good to get more stuff in bookstores where normal people will go and sure. you know find it Completely agreed. Dang, those were going to be my two points. Um, <laughs> More Swamp Thing comics exist now. <laughs> Let's go! Right here. It's right here next to me at all times. Wow. Um, not even a good one. Yeah, not even a good one, you know? Yeah. Posters and shit all over. Um, damn, you took the exact ones I was going to call out. I don't think I have one. All right. Uh, actually, no. Um, web webtoons exploding, I think, has been really, really good for DC. That ties into some of the expansion pieces that the the return of things like milestone, you know, to whatever varying degree, I think, is also a step towards the right direction. I know that DC had previously mentioned wanting to go prioritize digital, and they have, in some ways, on the app, they have the app, which I think functions really well. Um, that has sort of led to a split between Marvel Unlimited and now the DCU app. But uh, I think it's a it's a good it's a good transition, and the the prioritizing of certain comics on that, like certain partnerships, Fortnite, just to get within that gaming audience, whatever Phase Clan, like like those kinds of things, at the very least is speaks to them trying something different and i can appreciate that to whatever varying degree of success that that actually pulls people in further into the industry versus it being you know oh this is a fun sort of one-off and we're kind of doing it just for visibility that's fine you get that awareness and that never hurts um 
yeah, I think otherwise everything you guys laid out is exactly the growth of the industry over the past few years. And I think from here on, it'll continue to grow. I'm ever hopeful, ever optimistic. And so I only foresee further success and further inclusion, uh, further diversity. And ideally with stuff like the, uh, uh, the image, uh, workforce, what is it? They, they have their, um, their union, yeah. their union. Hopefully that is also something that plays out over the next couple of years that will improve the lives of, um, this isn't directly related to writers, but those people who work within the, um, uh, within the companies themselves. So at the very least that is a, a step in the right direction to where ultimately writers and artists can be that or can do that. Sure. Yeah. I think those, yeah. Everything we laid out is pretty much the breadth of how the industry has changed and, and, and grown and evolved for good and bad, I guess. Um, and hopefully the next time we talk about this, we can talk about more positive. Uh, let's move on to the next one. We had a lot of comments about the twilight of the superheroes. Mm. Um, and I wanted to read just one from Dan Trudeau because I thought it was uh, very interesting. So Dan said, this is an interesting series to look into, but I'm very glad no one followed through on it. Alan Moore is on my Rushmore of writers, but an unfortunate aspect of his legacy is the idea that these characters are gods. That idea has poisoned the well at DC for a generation. Superheroes are adventure hero characters, not divine beings. They represent the best aspects of us, however you define that. The idea is that they help humanity move forward, not drive us back into feudal kingdoms. Sure, in real life we'd come to depend on them, but they don't live in the real world. I know Alan Moore doesn't buy into that idea, and he was able to create some great comics built around this skepticism. Best to leave the DC heroes with creators who embrace what they stand for. The main thing is the idea that of DC heroes as Greek gods shows not only a misreading of both story types, hero tales and divine dramas, but has led to ponderous, pretentious stories that have dragged on these characters since the 80s. Again, especially with Superman. Do you have a thought on that, Marco? Uh, I know that uh, Dan doesn't agree with the like mythology aspect of DC. Um, I think I side with Grant on that kind of thing. It is the American mythology. Um, it fits the grandiose nature of the characters for me. I, that's the way that I perceive them, and so I think I think it works well for the sake of this story. But I think to Dan's point, you don't have to make it that. And you can fit those smaller interpersonal things, uh, interpersonal stories to stuff that we've seen recently with like Superman, with uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson. Like he's telling tender stories and he's being very deliberate about the character in, uh, in, his, in uh, the character's honesty or goodwill. And I think that plays into a lot of what Dan says here is it's, it's an adventure book and uh, it doesn't have that feeling that he is this overwhelming force or this unstoppable power. He is just a kind person who has these powers and displays them when needed. Uh, I still think back to that panel where he's pulling that kid out of the car. He's like, "Hey, dude! Like, you know, you're 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 the inspiration. You're you're the hero here. I'm I'm just helping out. Like, that still knocks uh, my socks off." 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I disagree with the point that Dan's making only in the sense that I don't think that every every iteration or every interpretation of these characters should be, you know, coming from a, uh, the, the, the place of skepticism or, you know, anything like that. Um, but I think what Alan Moore was trying to accomplish was really to give these characters an end point. And I think he was trying to trying to trying to send a message to readers like if you want the beginning middle and end of batman you can get that it's an answer to everybody who complains about the never-ending stories that's all it was and i guess you can quibble about whether or not this should be the final destination for dc's world um and that's why i ultimately don't know that dc would have actually published it because you know watchmen is its own thing and that was great but i don't think that watchmen exists at all if batman is rorschach you know like that dc wouldn't have let that fly so i don't know that i think twilight of the superheroes would have ever been allowed to exist um i think if it did it would have caused a lot of problems for dc but i do think there's a way to edit edit it and iterate on it that makes it an effective um sort of end game for, for DC's characters. Either way, just something fascinating to look at. Mm. I love it. I also, I also don't... <laughs> uh, this is going to get probably a little too meta, but I also don't think you necessarily choose your gods, you know? Right. You can start it as an adventurer character, but when the, you know, the guy from the sky that can leap tall buildings in a single bound can now, if you wanted, tear the planet in half, like... Power, power scaling like it is what it is like right like that has to at some point you have to deal with that and yeah. i think i think even just even just in terms of buying power you know people have put down their money for almost a hundred years superman and batman and spider-man are what we want to worship you know like yeah i don't i don't like i i agree in principle that yeah they should just be adventure heroes but they're not <laughs> like <laughs> and they and they are and they're not right like yeah. that's kind of the yeah. beauty of comics to me is that tom king can have something to say about superman that's radically different than what jeff johns has to say and they both yeah. get to exist. So, you know, it's, 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 it becomes individual. Something Kale says all the time is about, like, you know, the headcanon. Yeah. And I yeah. think even though we don't all, like, consciously do that, I think to some degree you do it. You know, like, you choose which version of these characters that you um, – that are most aspirational for you or that, you, that resonate most. And that's kind of what – that's your guiding light as far as that character goes, you know? Um. Hmm. That's I think that's just how it is. Like you can't tell me shit about, you know, Batman if you're not including what Grant Morrison did. You know, and and I think I think to that headcanon piece because those two ideas can exist. They they both become true. Like they can be the gods that we worship, or they can be the adventure people that we are come along for the ride. Yeah. And that's that's the the advantage of 
the comics and continuity and just that format of storytelling. Exactly. Either way, you're kneeling at the altar. So. <laughs> yep. Of uh, I think you're at that point suckling at the teat of big comics. You guys want to talk about something that might uh, might piss some people off? Huh? Well, no, no you don't. No. All right. Then I, then right. I, I guess we won't. We just, we'll just move on. Yes. No. Um, wow. No, we're not oh. going to do that. Um, <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Toying with our emotions over here. So this week, everybody's favorite, Zack Snyder, put out a transmission from Darkseid that you could hear on his Vero platform um, where he basically made an announcement that on April 28th through the 30th, something will happen. Um, Darkseid let us know. Thanks, Darkseid. I didn't realize he was a spokesperson. Um, and it appears Zack Snyder is teasing a theatrical window, a theatrical event featuring his DC films, Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, and Zack Snyder's Justice League, April 28th, 29th, and 30th. I am, I'm going to tell you right now, I am so excited for the idea that I might be able to sit my ass in a seat for four hours and watch Zack Snyder's Justice League again. 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 I've seen it twice already. The black and white one too? Uh, no, I didn't see that one. Oh, okay. I'm down. Hey, <laughs> y'all have fun. And you know what's so funny to me? You know what sucks so much? So I don't know how many of you guys know this, but we got attacked recently for um, the fact that we're going to have Jeff Johns on the show. Oh, and I like, do I even know this? <laughs> all those idiots, right? All those fools don't even realize that the host of this podcast is a big-ass fan of Zack Snyder's Justice League. I love all that stuff. Attacking me, I'm not, I'm a supporter. <laughs> I'm one of you. Yeah. The problem, the problem with me is that I don't create fifty-seven burner accounts to tell people off on social media. I didn't even want to repeat some of the things these people were saying. They're no, psychotic. No, fuck, fuck that shit. You're just not doing your part. I guess so. <laughs> um, is is anyone other than me excited about this? Am I the only one here? Yep. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> And also, good. That uh, Man of Steel burned it for me, man. I've been out since day one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you might notice no Shazam two talk on this podcast. That's Yo, right. <laughs> bro. And we're not we're not reviewing it. Marco's minute. Oh, did you see it? I saw it. I saw it last night. I put it in the chat. I fell asleep twice. Should oh. we give him a minute? That shit went bad last time. No, yeah, but, but this, this time, but this time I know this, what I'm talking about. This time he's re- well. I don't. Hold on. <laughs> Let's this, time that he, this time he's ready. All right. You did kind of spring it on him last time. All time right. Timey, timey. Time do you want? You want? Do you want you the Marco it? minute? I, Chat, I want the do minute. You want I want Marco's the minute. minute. I want the minute. All right. All right. I'm gonna put the timer on, man. But you better not disappoint because we did it last time, and it just. Uh, 
Here, here we go. Here we go. All right. <laughs> You're on. All right. So um, I had I had fun with the movie overall. I think what they did with the the characters, they used them to some comedic effect, um, but it wasn't as overwhelming as something within Marvel. Uh, I think the storyline was relatively paint by numbers and you know a generic villain or trio of villain but i think it was effective for the story that they were telling it was a about getting to a point where you have to grow up and having to deal with that and now uh shazam having to deal with being alone for the first time uh not have his uh family there because of circumstances in the film i will say some of the slowy slow talk parts I fell asleep on a little bit boring and then the action piece set piece at the end also fell asleep um just because i'm <laughs> not a fan of those kind of things but i think it did what it needed to do six and a half out of uh, ten wow all right you did well you did well that was good yes. wow yeah good job i felt that at the end i'm like oh let's get that in get that in <laughs> six you know and what? a half that's better than i thought it would, it would be honestly i is it worth the ticket at uh, AMC? Probably not, but at a local theater for eleven dollars, I'll pay that. All right. Well, I won't. Um, <laughs> I won't pay I'll for that, but I'll damn sure pay to watch any of these Zack Snyder movies again. And God damn you! I definitely would, and probably will if this is available in New York. I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna at least watch if I can. BVS and Zack Snyder's Justice League. But you know who else is down on DC right now? Oh, quickly. Yeah, sorry, oh, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. Quickly. Uh, Shazam 2, better than Ant-Man 3? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard wow. yeah. Hard yes. Can't be that. That's, that, that's, I, I, I can't, I can't even believe that. Now I might have to watch this movie just to, just to critique it against Ant-Man 3. <laughs> I have to get Sean's second. Uh, damn! All I get is a, Sean, no, Sean's, soapbox. Sean's soapbox. Yeah, come, come on, on. dude! It's a brand That's at this handle. point. Yeah, but it's it's got to be time based. Can't time me. No, we I can do it in a minute. We oh, can do a minute. oh, believe me, I know. <laughs> we can do a minute. Um, well, someone else who's down on DC right now is Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck has had enough. He will not direct a DC film going forward oh yes uh, oh no how terrible. i don't know man that's kind of a loss i agree yeah ben affleck is a very yeah. talented director yeah mm. the town didn't he direct that i don't remember if he Ar directed it but he acted in it he was great argo argo was that i think there was one manchester by the sea i think it i'm not sure about that we got the I new movie the air movie coming out um air yeah it's about it's about uh it's about how they figured out how to make Michael Jordan the spokesperson of Nike through the show. Whoa, that yeah, sounds uh, cool. Yeah, it's pretty sick. Um, but but he will not be involved in DC apparently going forward. So it's a great it's a great article um, by Hollywood Reporter. I think if you're a fan of Ben Affleck, it's worth reading. Written by Rebecca Keegan, and uh, I do want to read just a few quick words from Ben Affleck. Quote, the Justice League experience, the fact that those stories became somewhat repetitive to me and less interesting. Yeah, I did finally figure out how to how to play that character, Batman, and I nailed it in the Flash. For the five minutes I'm in there, it's really great. 
a lot of it's just tone. You've got to figure out what's your version of the person. Who is the guy that fits what you can do? I tried to fit myself into a Batman. And by the way, I like a lot of the stuff we did, especially in the first one, Batman vs. Superman. Uh, question, but not Justice League. What went wrong there? Quote, Justice League, you could teach a seminar on all the reasons why this is not how to do it. Ranging from productions to bad decisions to horrible personal tragedy and just ending with the most monstrous taste in my mouth. The wow. genius and the silver lining is that Zack Snyder eventually went to AT&T and was like, look, I can get you four hours of content. And it's a, it's it's principally just all the slow motion that he shot in black and white. And one day of shooting with me and him, he was like, do you want to come shoot in my backyard? I was like, I think there are unions, Zack. I think we have to make a deal. But I went and did it. And now Zack Snyder's Justice League is my highest rated movie on IMDb. Question. Isn't that because Zack Snyder's fans are so intense online? Answer, quote, Say what you want, it's my highest rated career movie. I've never had one that went from nadir to pinnacle. Retroactively, it's a hit. All of a sudden, I was getting congratulated for the bomb I'm in. But I was going to direct Batman. And Justice League made me go, I'm out. I never want to do any of this again. I'm not suited. That was the worst experience I've ever seen in a business with some really shitty experiences. It broke my heart. There was an idea of someone, he's referencing Joss Whedon, coming in like, I'll rescue you and we'll do 60 days of shooting and I'll write a whole thing around what you have. I've got the secret. And it wasn't the secret. That was hard. And I started to drink too much. I was back at the hotel in London. It was either that or jump out the window. And I just thought, this isn't the life I want. My kids aren't here. I'm miserable. You want to go to work and find something interesting to hang on to rather than just wearing a rubber suit. And most of it, you're just standing against the computer screen going... <laughs> if if this nuclear waste gets loose, will dot 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 that's fine. I don't condense that. I don't con- condescend to that or put it down, but I got to a point where I found it creatively not satisfying. Also just you're sweaty and exhausted. And I thought, I don't want to participate in this in any way, and I don't want to squander any more of my life, of which I have a limited amount. <laughs> Question. So if DC came to you now and said, do you want to direct something? Answer. I would not direct something for James Gunn. Absolutely not. I have nothing against James Gunn. Nice guy. Sure, he's going to do a great job. I just want to want to go in and direct in the way they're doing that. I'm not interested in that. Scorched Earth. Real. Man, what a shame, too. They turned off one of the biggest actors in Hollywood because Warner Brothers and AT&T and DC suck collectively yep. at making movies. <laughs> Tell me again how shitty Zack Snyder is and how great the production of Justice League was. You know, I don't think Ben Affleck is one of those drones on Twitter. I don't think he's one yeah. of those people. I think he's an honest man who had an experience and he's talking about it. And everyone who was actually on the set seems to feel like Zach and, and, and those individuals weren't the problem. Uh, it was the uh, AT&T folk. The, right. Yeah. Heads at the table there. Yeah. These people suck. Hopefully. But I, I hope that the new regime will be better. I really do. And I wish that Ben Affleck could look past all this to work with James Gunn. Because I think that'd be great. I, do you, do you foresee a future where, you know, if he decides, yo, this is no longer that this will no longer be that experience for you, like, and not even now, like maybe five years from now, where proof of concept has sort of shown itself, um, 
he extends the offer, does he come back? I don't know, man. Because I, you got to think it's still, you know, it's it's. Think about the, you know, the 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 corporate garbage of DC Comics that we know about. Like the films are just another level of that, which we saw in between Joss Whedon's Justice League and Zack Snyder's Justice League. Hmm. He's yeah. not going to want to get involved in that again. But let's say, like, Gunn, in the same way as, like, Feige can try to shield to some degree. I mean, he's got to do it. And, like, at this point, I don't have faith that he can. Mm. I Like, I I like James Gunn. I like what he does. But I I don't even necessarily think that if Gunn's Superman isn't successful i think they're gonna drop him like a hat wow i i like what like what have they been doing like they're just gonna keep looking for that secret formula that they can't figure out i i i and and you know what it's this is a perfect opportunity for us to shift into talking about james gunn and superman legacy which he will actually be directing he officially did announce that um which you know we weren't sure about i think this is the biggest non-surprise of all time like how are you not going to direct it um i don't see a reason for ben affleck to come back i think Mm. james gunn is going to do his absolute damnedest i think dc would be fools warner would be fools not to continue on even if the superman movie doesn't do the numbers they want because people are going to figure out that all DC's trying to do is reboot until they hit pay dirt. And they're just not going to show up. They have bad will. They have bad will with the audience. Forget about whether you like the Zack Snyder stuff or not. It didn't work with the core audience. And the language around those movies is bad. Yep. That's what matters. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. Enough people didn't like it that when you talk about it, it's bad. So that happened, right? And then there's this wave of movies that are like middling. Wonder Woman 2. Most people feel like it wasn't very good. Shazam 2. It's all right is what I see. I'll take it, bro. Like, yeah, at this point? Yeah, sure, 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 of course. But like, that's not getting the goodwill back for the movies yep. to just uh, be all right. They need gangbusters. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then the only movies that people like overwhelmingly love aren't even a part of the fucking universe. Batman and Joker. Yep. Which is, yeah, which is probably the stuff Ben Affleck wants to do. He yeah, he wanted to do a Batman. And imagine a imagine a Batman, right? Imagine a Batman outside of continuity so you don't have to worry about any of the, any of the crap by Ben Affleck. That's hot. With him in this suit, I think he's one of the best Batman ever. I'm with it. On principle, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. I think the casting of Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne is something DC desperately needed. I was very against it 10 years ago, and now I wish we had gotten a lot more. But let's talk about this this James Gunn announcement. Uh, James Gunn said 
on Twitter, where he breaks all his announcements. Uh, quote, yes, <laughs> I am directing Superman Legacy to be released on July 11, 2025. My brother Matt told me when he saw the release date, he started to cry. I asked him why. He said, dude, it's dad's birthday. I hadn't realized. I lost my dad almost three years ago. He was my best friend. He didn't understand me as a kid, but he supported my love of comics and my love of film. And I wouldn't be making this movie without him. It has been a long road to this point. I was offered Superman years ago. I initially said no because I didn't have a way in that felt unique and fun and emotional that gave Superman the dignity he deserved. Then a bit less than a year ago, I saw a way in. In many ways centered around Superman's heritage, how both aristocratic Kryptonian parents and his Kansas former parents inform who he is and the choices he makes. How do you guys feel about him directing? Do you think that's the right decision? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. He's got a great track record as a director. Absolutely. I, I also have faith that he's coming into these with good faith and with an understanding. And yeah. uh, especially from I, – I, I personally liked the, the slate that was revealed. Um, I think the teases that he was doing with regards to Superman, like he's coming from a uh, uh, a – good starting point with something like all-star and if you can try to capture that in film to whatever degree I, i'm sold on that because there, there's a very specific idea about superman in that book and you need to try to capture that i'm 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 on board yeah i i think i think that this could be it could be and I know this is blasphemous, and I'm sure there will be people mad at, at me saying this. It could be the best Superman movie ever. It's possible. We'll I, say no. Superman needs it. Yeah. I think it's crap that we haven't had, you know, a a, a universally enjoyed Superman film since what? Six nineteen seventy. Yeah. Yeah. That's forty insane. fifty years. Yeah. That's really weird to think about. Um, I am not the biggest James Gunn fan. I think I like James Gunn more in concept than in reality. I don't care that much for the Guardians films. I thought mm. Suicide Squad was all right. The thing I've enjoyed the most from Gunn is Peace, uh, Peacemaker. Yeah. Um, I'm still very excited for this because I want it to be good so, so, so badly. I want to love it. I love Superman. I never thought I would say that, but over the last year, especially with what Philip Kennedy Johnson's been doing, I've fallen in love. And I want to love this. So I'm hoping yeah. for the best. If if we get like a one-to-one -one panel with something from either hit, uh, PKJ's run or from uh, um, or we get that intro from All-Star where three panels, you explain everything and then you just dive in. Uh, if that that's the first like 10 seconds of the movie, I'm like, oh, we, we he gets it like we're, we're good i i actually you know when you talk about numbers right i wonder if this movie i wonder if it's going to be fair to even talk about the numbers because of the I'm, I, basically what i'm getting at is i'm worried that the snyder drones um who normally would have been open to watching a superman movie are so turned off that they won't go and see it and that that will impact the numbers as far as this movie goes. I guess it's a question of how many Snyder Jones are there mm. really. But I wonder about that. 
Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. But I think I think so much of the normie crowd just like Superman, you know, unattached from all the baggage that we have. Yeah. That I think is a, a Superman film will hit. I hope so. I and I think I think it'll hit and if it's a different Superman than what we've seen, which has been dark and you know gloomy and uh maybe even a bit cynical like that that is good word of mouth at that point this was different this 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 felt different and that as a baseline to start is i think a good conversation piece i agree with gavin in the chat saying that's something that wb just needs to be prepared to overlook they they do have to be prepared to overlook that wb discovery has to understand what they inherited they have to understand it they inherited a fucking disaster. And they have to look past what might be softer numbers than they would hope. It has to be that way. Zaslav cannot look at maybe, maybe softer launch for Superman Legacy and go, up, oh, time to blow it up again, because that is the death knell of DC, and then they might as well just sell the shit to somebody else. Yep. And keep yep. just keep making 90 Day Fiance and forget about this movie stuff. Please. Bro, that on. universe is popping off yep and by the way gavin good luck on the book you're working on i'd love to hear um what it is obviously can't talk about it but you know hopefully uh you come around and let us know when that's uh when that's done um well let's talk a little bit about marvel we don't have a lot of marvel news this week but there was a major event an x-men event the x-men uh 60 uncanny years live virtual event that Marvel hosted for oh, yeah. members of Marvel Unlimited. Um, oh, yeah. you, t- you tuned in? I sure didn't. Um, oh, dang. I wasn't about to drop $60 on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would have only done it for Grant, and I couldn't find a single word of what they said or did throughout the actual live event. I couldn't, I couldn't find anything. I found everything else. Nothing mm. on Grant, so... If somebody Atomic Hound was was there, I would love to know uh, what did Grant say and do, and was there anything announced regarding Grant's maybe going forward with a- with X Men or anything of that nature? Um, I don't know that, but let's talk about what I do know. They had this amazing event. So many creators were involved. Legacy creators, of course, like you know your Chris Claremonts of the world, uh, the Simonsons, Walter and Louise. You had Rob Liefeld a part of it, Jerry Duggan, Jonathan Hickman. Just ran the gamut of every you know um, generation and iteration of the X Men. There was representation for it. The first big announcement that I want to talk about is the in person live Hellfire Gala that they, that uh, Marvel will be hosting. At San Diego Comic Con, July twenty second. Um, they well, it well, it will be, it will be a, it's a little confusing. D twenty three will host, yeah, D twenty three will host the Hellfire Gala at San Diego Comic Con. So, huh. yeah, so it's a it's a D twenty three event at Comic Con. Yes, exactly. Right, and but, they're encouraging people, fans. To come to this event dressed up as if they were going to the Hellfire Gala. That was going to be my question. And even the the language of it, uh, I'll I'll read a little bit of it. Uh, Quote, promises to outfit the fiercest fashion for the powered up party of the summer. 
uh, dr- quote, dress in superpowered style, fashioning the chicest looks, embellished by their own epic abilities, because as any Hellfire Gala fan knows, powers are the ultimate accessory. So my hope is that people who go to this figure out unique ways to represent what their power set would be while they look coolest as shit. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That's fun. I was very skeptical about this, but that actually sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I'm into it. Would would you Uh, go if you could? No, absolutely not. Yeah. No way. What? To dress up and just be there? No. You know how many many people are going to be there? I want no part of that. What? Oh, well, I, I I like being surrounded by yeah, not individuals. Me. I don't even like leaving my house. <laughs> he, he, he's like, you know what? This interaction right now, too close, honestly. Too much? Too much. <laughs> Marco Marco came in my country and said, and, and I said, hey, listen, I, you're reaching. I need you to back off. <laughs> I gave him an extra long hug, too. And it was difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Um, uh, yeah. Atomic Hound uh, responded. Um, he said Grant was pre-recorded with Hickman. Grant imitated Cyclops dancing. It was as awkward as it sounds. What does that even mean? <laughs> you know, like, like the Cyclops have a unique dance that that Morrison needed to imitate. I, I that's odd. But, like but, four, no, but no announcements. <laughs> no, no work announcements. Unfortunate. I mean, I guess I guess I'm not surprised by that, and I'm also not necessarily surprised that Morrison might not want to talk about new X-Men because of, you know, that experience and how hard it was when they deleted, when Marvel um, retconned all of Morrison's work on that book, essentially. Um, That was rough. But uh, so we got the the, the live in-person Hellfire Gala. That's going to be super cool. We'll probably do our own thing with that as we do every year. Or Well, we did once, actually. Um, (laughs) There's only been two, and we did we did we did something for one. Oh yeah, we skipped yeah. the we skipped the last one. Yeah, so maybe uh, this yeah. this time we'll be better prepared, and we can have a whole event around it. For those of you who don't know, in 2021 we had a Hellfire yeah. Gala event, and uh, these two and two other people who used to be a part of the show they they dressed up and 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 you know were in their their mutant best for that day. It was a lot of fun. Uh, that's not the only thing we got out of this event because we learned that, uh, well, we learned that there would be a, a huge lead in to the fall of X event through the hellfire gala. So, um, it's not the, the actual hellfire gala book, hellfire gala. Number one is not just going to be a showcase of, you know, Russell Dodderman and Chris Anka and their ability to make the X characters look sexy and trendy. Um, it's gonna. There's gonna be some deep story stuff that happens in this issue of the Hellfire Gala. Um, this is gonna lead into the Fall of X event. So um, Jordan D. White, who is the basically the head editor of the X line, said, "Quote: Fall of X is gonna be a rough one for the mutants." Things have been relatively good for them. I mean, there were issues, but they had their own nation, and now it's going to be dark. They're going to go through some troubles. It will affect the entire mutant line. Indeed, any book that has mutants in it is going to be dark for sure. Um, And so we learned a lot about the fact that there are going to be some problems, fallout from Sins of Sinister. Um, We know about all the Sinisters that exist, and we're going to... It seems like they're still going to exist, 
The messaging seems to be that they'll be around after Sins of Sinister. Um, and so we'll see their machinations. I'm kind of disappointed by that. But uh, the other thing is that Apocalypse is coming back, which we, we know. Yes. Uh, but we don't know whose side he's going to be on. And so uh, White says that we should look to X-Men Red and the Before the Fall one-shots uh, for the Herald of Apocalypse one-shot for more information on Apocalypse's future. Um, they you know also, what? Yeah, go ahead. Frankly, Apocalypse, burn that shit down and then rebuild it in your image. Like I like this idea of Sinister took over Krakoa for a hot minute. Now Apocalypse is going to take over Krakoa for a minute before somebody regains, before uh, Xavier and potentially a resurrected Magneto regain uh, control or order. I I hope they don't do any kind of mutant versus mutant thing because this whole arc has been about unity and I would hate for mutants fighting mutants to be the downfall of Krakoa. Let them face off with Orcus. Let them face off with Sinister, who's not a mutant, um, or maybe a new threat, but I don't want it to become, oh, Apocalypse is back and he's a, a villain again and they've got to fight him. I, 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 let's save that for later. We have many, 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 many mm. years to come of mutant versus mutant action. Let's 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 not do that. In my opinion, right now. Um. We also know that all of that turmoil is going to spin off into the return of Uncanny Avengers. So, mm. for those of you who don't know, uh, after X Men versus Avengers, which I did not like. Uh, we got Rick Remender and John Cassidy's Uncanny Avengers, which was meant to be a book about, well, they were literally called the Unity Squad. It was about the unification of the X-Men and the Avengers through one singular team that could show unity for mutants and humans. That was the idea of the Uncanny Avengers. And so we're going back to that. Uh, Jerry Duggan and Javier Garon will be teaming up um, for this book. It's going to be coming out in August, and we will be getting a preview of it in Free Comic Book Day, Avengers X-Men number one. We know the team. It's going to be Captain America, Rogue, Deadpool, Quicksilver, Psylocke, and Penance. And Captain Krakoa. Penance. So, wait. There's going to be... Captain America is the only Avenger on the team? Um... Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, I guess. Scarlet Witch isn't isn't here. Oh, that's oh, that's Psylocke. Sorry, I was looking at the picture. Uh, Quicksilver and and Deadpool are people who were on Uncanny Avengers before, I believe. Um, yeah, and Rogue was as well. Rogue was in that initial uh, initial Uncanny Avengers run. Penance is Monet in this case. Obviously, you know, just a mutant. And when I said Psylocke. I should have said Quanon. So um, this is Quanon. Oh, right. Yeah, not, not, not Betsy. Betty. Yeah, Betsy. Betsy yeah. Brand. Right. Um, this, uh, and Jerry Duggan is doing this one? Yeah. Uh, it's a pass from me, dog. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. Instant pass. Yeah. Jer- Jerry. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Um, I need to catch up on the X-Men stuff. I'm, I'm a few issues behind. Uh, I mean, I just uh, I got not spoiled, but I got to, I got the ending of the most recent issue spoiled for me, and I said, 
no, I'll just, uh, I'll keep staying away. It's fine. I don't need to know what the X-Men are doing in New York. Like, I don't care that much. I'm just tired. Like, it's not that I'm tired of the story. It's that, like, Sins of Sinister is sucking up all the air. And I yeah. don't really love it. Um, and then the other the X books feel like they're going nowhere fast. So it's just a weird it's a weird time right now. Comic Boom says, "Did Hoxpox ever end?" I stopped after the twelve issues when it became apparent it was not a cohesive story. Well, Hoxpox is self-contained in a sense in in the twelve issues that you're referencing, and then after that, of course, it's spun out into many many stories. So if you're referring to the Krakoan era of X Men, no, that has not ended, and right. I would not disagree that it does not feel. Sorry, that, that sentence is not great. I agree that it does not feel cohesive and that it hasn't since Hickman left. You mean you mean cohesive in the sense that Hoxpox tying into the larger Kokoa stuff now? Not that self contained story. No, that the that if 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 Comic Boom is referring to the Krakoan era of, of mutants, not just Hoxpox, <laughs> yeah, then yeah. I would agree that it's not cohesive. I believe okay. that Hoxbox is cohesive and perfect. And uh, we did a book club on it most recently, so go check it out. We sure did. We sure did. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, look, Uncanny Avengers was a great time. Very strong book. But uh, I can't bring myself to care about this particular team. Deadpool, I'm over it. 100% over it. And I feel like Jerry Duggan's Deadpool might grate on me, to be honest. Uh, and then a lot of these characters I'm just not that interested in. So this is a weird one. Uh, to Plan Three Kingdom says, I want to read X-Men again. Last thing I read was X-Men versus Inhumans. Wow. Where should I start? Hoxbox. 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 And then if you want to spin out from there, I personally think... Wolverine is probably the most consistent book from therein. Uh, uh, Benjamin Percy on that. Fire. Um, what else? I think there's a there's an X book for every flavor of reader. Yeah. I think if you if you liked some of the magic stuff, um, Excalibur was really good, and that's where you're gonna find the majority of Apocalypse's stories there. Core X Men by Jonathan Hickman was absolutely phenomenal i defy someone to read that book and tell me you didn't find something good there for you whether it's the brett booth uh crazy ass brood story that knocked my socks off yeah or the or the issue where you had professor xavier magneto and apocalypse in suits talking global politics while Yo. while uh my man um what's my man's name i forgot his name was cutting people up um remember uh, oh 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 yeah my God, Gorg yes. gorgon gorgon Gorg yes yeah where he was just cutting people to shreds that was one of the best issues of x-men i have ever read so X -Men number nine i think dude if you remember that that's amazing um so yeah great stuff great great stuff um yeah x-men not in the best spot but i'm always Looking forward to more. I can't wait for Sins of Sinister to end. Yeah, please and thank <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just too long. Uh, Comic Boom says, I would love to know what happened to Moira in her mysterious ninth or tenth life. Um, 
we're in we're in her what are we in i've i've man i wish i remembered all that off the top of my head we're in the uh, last I, life I, right i thought this was the 10th life i believe yeah i believe this is the 10th life of moira um, well actually no because sinister has the clones and he's been resetting shit so like that's, isn't that that's all irrelevant now that's something entirely different but yeah. isn't that all irrelevant isn't what all irrelevant like now now aren't we what, doesn't that technically count as like that's her we're in like the 15th or 17th or whatever the fuck life no. i wouldn't no, look at because... it that way because that's not moira prime yeah and oh, it, oh. yeah mm, okay um as far as moira prime goes uh i don't I guess we can spoil it. Um, she's depowered right now. She doesn't have powers, so she's hanging out with Orcus, right? Yeah, those lives that you're wondering, like what the future of those were, that's all in limbo because, as it stands, she's depowered, and the only Moira powers that are out there is what Marco referred to, which is the the Moira clones that Sinister has. So. Fucking hell. Aaron Ruiz in the YouTube chat says, come on, Sean, give us X of Swords versus Sins of Sinister Book Club. You Yo. want a quick Whoa. way to see... <laughs> you want to see a quick way to get to see four people hang themselves? Dude. Wow. You know what? I, just give me just give me two seconds. I'll be right back. What? <laughs> what? He's, he's going to get the, uh, the book, I'll bet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he needs a reason to fucking open that X of Swords. Yeah, that's omnibus. right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you gave it to him. You gave. No, you... that wasn't me. Not you. No, I mean Aaron. Oh, let's go, Sean. Because I, w- I want to show I want to show you guys something right now. This this there it is, is yeah. my Ten of Swords omnibus or collection, whatever you want to call it. Thick, thick. Notice thick something boy. about it. Yeah, it's in I, plastic. I, I just said you gave him. Aaron gave you a reason to open that shit up now. No, no, he didn't. I'm not opening this fucking thing. <laughs> I'm not opening this. I bought this before this thing even started because Amazon yep. had pre-orders, and I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I'm getting in on the ground floor. It's like thirty bucks or whatever. Maybe it was fifty. I don't be care." So good, right? Yeah. I was like, "Oh my god, it's gonna be so amazing," and then. The shit came after it was over, and I get the delivery, and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Yo, I forgot about that. Because you forgot that you had pre-ordered it. Yes. Yep. Yes, and I get this yep. garbage on my doorstep. Um, we, bro. <laughs> Sean, Sean is a completionist. Yes. He will go out, and he will get the whole of Jonathan Hickman's x-men run i have the prop the problem with that is that now sean has the whole of jonathan's x-men i i'm so disappointed that i own this and by the way just so you know this is a double dip because i own every single individual issue that's in here so i double dipped on trash unreal unreal to plan three kingdom onslaught don't don't sleep on onslaught man that's just good i have all the individual issues right over here don't oh god Did that get we're gonna get back get to me, that get me started bro get me started unreal <laughs> oh all right listen um we're gonna we're gonna dive in to the the last bit here which is going to be the twilight of the superheroes 
So this is part three of our conversation about Alan Moore's greatest superhero comic story that never was, that was never told. Uh, if you've been following along, then you know that we, in our first episode, we dove into the why. Why does Alan Moore want to do this? What is it? What are the inspirations? We're talking about things like the Dark Knight Returns. Um, we're talking about things like Secret Wars. We're talking about things like Crisis on Infinite Earths. Things that inspired Alan Moore to want to tell this story. Also, the idea that these characters, these superheroes, need to become mythological, right? To become the American myth. They need a strong beginning, middle, and end. And he said, well, we know the beginning of Batman. DC is intent on never leaving the middle of Batman. And I can't change that. But in Alan Moore's mind, he says, what I can do is provide an end point for the whole of DC the same way that the Dark Knight Returns was essentially an end point for Batman. And creators can work backwards from this point and readers will know if they want that concrete answer, how does it end? They can get that. That's what the point of this all was. Last week, we talked about the essential houses. We dove into two of the primary houses of superheroes and, and, and various characters that will inhabit the world of the Twilight of the Superheroes. And those were, of course, the House of Steel and the House of Thunder. Talked about some really weird things going on with the House of Thunder. Go ahead and oh, listen to the, right. the last episode, which are all split out, by the way. And a huge shout out to uh, Arubaro Snake for suggesting that we separate out the Twilight of the Superheroes episodes, um, deep dives, because those are doing very well for us. And, um, you know, it's something that I hope people continue to check out. So we're going to we're going to talk on this episode about the rest of the houses. We're going to give you guys some updates on characters who are not necessarily a part of houses. The central location where a lot of the story will take place. What's up with Batman? And as promised, I will show you guys some artwork that was done by a collaborator of Alan Moore that represents a few of the characters that are in Twilight of the Superheroes. So here we go. We're going to start with the House of Titans. I'm sure you can imagine what the House of Titans is or who's in it, but I'm pretty sure you can't imagine what they're doing now. I'll refer to Alan Moore here. Quote, One of the two foremost clans making up this collection of lesser houses is a clan composed of the remains of the Teen Titans, now grown up and a hell of a lot grimmer and more frightening than they ever were in the past. They are led by an adult Nightwing who... Trying to emulate and live up to the reputation of the Batman has become every bit as driven as vicious and vicious as his mentor, but who lacks the depth of compassion and understanding that separate the Batman from all the other grim vigilantes. As a result, Nightwing is not an altogether nice character. This isn't helped by the fact that Starfire has been killed some years earlier. Ah, wait, 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 repeat that. I said, uh, this isn't helped by the fact that Starfire has been killed some years oh. earlier during a period when all the aliens 
were being forcibly expelled from Earth by the big powers who feared alien influence moving in to take advantage of the disruption and uncertainty in society. Other Titans who have died include Jericho, while some, including Kid Flash and Wonder Girl, have left the Titans to take up with the other clans, a cause of bitterness among the remaining Titans. So, the Titans represent, in comics, the next wave of heroes, the next step, the mantle passing down, right? These are the would-be main superheroes of the future. If DC Comics, if time actually moved forward in DC Comics and people age normally and things like that, by now, Batman would have retired, Bruce Wayne, rather, would have retired, Nightwing would either take up the mantle or just be Nightwing, uh, but he would be that 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 Batman, you know, um, okay. and so on and so forth. Just the same way, like right now in DC, the Titans are going to be the main superhero team. That's what should happen in DC, right? Like that's mm-hmm. supposed to be their future. Alan Moore is taking those characters who represent the future and basically saying, yeah, shit didn't go too well for them. And now Nightwing is a jaded, bitter, angry character that has very little to do in my opinion with the nightwing that we all know and love how does this big time how does this sort of idea make you guys feel i hate it i don't like it especially for nightwing yeah um yeah when you started when you started that description of his character um i was very much like "Ooh, alan moore has already lost the plot that man doesn't know who this character is at all uh, but I think when you put all those events and just, you know, hit them one by one, you know, domino effect, mm. I think there's a degree of that that could make sense. Like, it could work, but I don't like the direction for the character regardless. Like, yeah. I can see, I can see the machinations there, but it feels like a stretch for him. Yeah, I, I. It's hard for me to accept the idea that Nightwing could ever turn. You know, yeah. We talked about you know would Nightwing be pro registration or anti or whatever, and I, I can never see him wavering from just, just good, just whatever's whatever's good, whatever's best for people, whatever's best for humanity, being a smiling, happy you know person for the most part, trying to inspire good. Um, the heart, the heart of DC, right? In my opinion. Yeah. Yep. And so to so see to see the main character, what I believe to be the main character of DC, turn heel in this way, it's hard to accept. But unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, Alan Moore doesn't stop there. I will uh, go refer back to Moore's words here. Uh, so he talks about Hawk and Dove, and he says that Hawk may be renamed Warhawk, and lives up to his name, a sort of super Rambo who Nightwing tends to use as a human weapon. Jeez. There is also the cyborg. Victor Stone has had some rejection problems with his bioelectronic parts in the time that's elapsed since our present day. And as a result, more and more of his body has been replaced by mechanical parts, including one lobe of his brain. Whoa. He is forced into considering the frightening question of when exactly something stops being a person and starts being a machine. I think Marco confronts himself with that every day. Every day, dude. 
quote, how much do you have to take out and replace before there's just a robot left? That's some more shit right there, dude. Yeah. That fascinating. I, I would love that. Um, and it's interesting because I my image of Cyborg is the cartoon, like Teen Titans. And in that, he has like part of his brain already. But I'm thinking back, like back back then, it would have just been, you know, his like little band across the, the forehead and just like part of his skin or whatever it might be. So, yeah, I, I think so. We just got our first Ooh. ever super chat. Oh, Damn. shit. That's wow. so awesome. Thank you, Atomic Hound. Uh, he says, first ever super chat. Doesn't feel like Alan Moore wanted to crap on Wolfman and Perez, turn Nightwing, and diminish Crisis. Yes. Yes. In both previous episodes, I talked about how I felt in reading Alan Moore's words on Crisis on Infinite Earths that he did not actually like the event. That he felt that the event hurt DC and that there was a part of him that wanted to undo what was done there. He doesn't explicitly say that. That's what I interpreted. And I do believe that taking these characters specifically and turning them on their heads so radically while also undoing the end of the multiverse was Alan Moore's way of rejecting Crisis on Infinite Earths. I do believe Damn. that. Thank you so much for that, Atomic Count. Really appreciate it. And by the way, you know, this all happened so fast. We didn't get the chance to, like, set up, a, you know, cool pop-up images or anything like that for Super Chats. But all that's coming. So stay tuned for that stuff. Thank you. Um, let, me, let me go on because I want to tell you guys about the rest of the Titans. Because we're not done. One thing that helps take Stone's mind off of his own problems is that he must keep an eye on the Changeling, who has serious problems of his own. When the terrors of the world finally became too much for his hokey, lighthearted facade, the Changeling did what he always said he would do. He went crazy. Not completely crazy, but more and more these days he stays in animal form, or worse, in some awful halfway form between the human and the animal. Or still, increasingly these days, he is starting to adapt the forms of animals that don't exist outside of the increasingly tortured confines of his own mind. Before the story is out, he will have adopted a new, ad new identity calling himself the Chimera. Oh, what? That, uh, yeah, that's happened in continuity. Oh, really? Somewhere along the line, yeah. It happened... Very, very, very recently. In fact, it happened right after Dark Crisis. Remember how in Dark Crisis, I think he gets yeah. shot by De yeah. Deathstroke or something bad happens to him and he's incapacitated. Oh, yeah. They're able to bring him back, but he stays in animal form because he's traumatized by the events that happened to him. That's right. Uh, it was a, a backup in one of the um, issues we read. It was a backup. Superman ones, yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, I think in the Teen Titans book... Uh, that Jeff Johns did post Infinite Crisis. Um, the Titans are shot to the future somehow or another. No, the future Titans are brought back, is what it is. Okay. And it's uh, like Tim Drake is Batman. And I think they've left. Uh, Beast Boy has just decided to stay in his in animal form. If I'm remembering that correctly. 
I like these sort of darker takes. I'm I don't like that more so cynical about the world and how it's playing out with some of these things. Like I like they're heroes and, and I feel like he's at this point now that we're describing the characters and where they're at, this feels like, you know, an extension of Watchmen and his cynicism therein about the world and how it could exist. But um, I think the cyborg stuff's interesting. I think he has interesting concepts for the characters. I might disagree with some of them here and there, but I think he's thought them through to a point where it'll benefit his story. Right. You got to remember too, this is late eighties. Right. Right. um, That's, you know, prime Thatcher time in, in England. And he's, uh, you know, he's based in a more rural town um, in the north, I believe, hmm. which was like uh, Thatcher would have cut off the north with her own hands if she could have. She would have nodded off. Wow. Like she hated the poor and she hated the north. She very famously said she wanted Liverpool to fall off into the sea. Yo, what? Like, like people like Thatcher is nuts. Um, wow. When you when you really look into like the conservatism there, so I mean, when you think about like Alan Moore's uh, 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 philosopher King in the YouTube chat says grim dark. That's where a lot of it comes from. Is mm the political commentary because late eighties Britain was drowning. Wow. That's good context. And I think, you know, Alan Moore, Alan Moore's sort of, um, what we interpret as his like cynicism and skepticism and things like that is clearly as informed by his opinions about people that read comic books and comic book characters as it is his his own life experience and what yeah. he was dealing with at that time as Kale points out so I think all of the context of who Alan Moore is as a person and what he went through and what he's experienced is relevant to discussing Twilight of the Superheroes because it's all there it's there in Watchmen yeah. too so, yeah Silve mentions that you can see it in the B for Vendetta um, yeah author's notes. notes and stuff yeah yeah absolutely the last Titan that uh, we need to talk about is Raven. It's going to be good. Dude, I, you, yeah, I'm good. like at the edge of my seat every like at this point. Because <laughs> you never know, right? Yeah, uh, I, just, I don't know where they're going. So I'll refer back to more. Raven is now an aging, very dignified sorceress. She stays with the Titans out of loyalty for the way they stayed with her in the past when she had troubles, Mm. but increasingly she finds herself drawn to the tempting notion of leaving the House of Titans and moving into one of the other houses, which is far more suited for her. This being the next house on our agenda for discussing, um, which is the House of Mystery. So I think that's interesting because I think that Raven continuing to be loyal to the Titans despite not liking where they're going i would say that probably fits the character i think so yeah do you feel like that's the only one we've talked about so far where like he actually hit the nail on the head of what is familiar sure right 
I I I I think he he does pretty well with Changeling and Cyborg as well. Well, and the and the Starfire Death. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. What which is Changeling an actual name that Beast Boy goes by? That was yeah. his name before he got into the Titans. Yeah, when he was with uh, Doom Patrol, was right. uh, Changeling. Okay, yeah. all right. Exposing my lack of knowledge. I well, yeah yeah. <laughs> I, I I I've never I've never proclaimed to be a, a DC aficionado. I don't mind being wrong or not knowing. Um, d- does getting rid of Starfire feel feel lazy? Like I would have liked to see where that plays out as well. Like like she's because because she's an alien, right? So she would have been part of that wave of how do we now deal with removing a Titan from uh, Earth? knowing that this is like a, a mandate that has been agreed upon across the board. Like that's an interesting wrinkle in his own idea. And I wonder if it's not just a way to not have to deal with uh, uh, like talking that through. What do you mean? Well, cause, um, cause earlier you said that there's this, there was this uh, earthwide um, mandate to remove all aliens from earth, but she is, um, she is an alien, but she's still part of the Titans. And if this is now a kingdom, right, it's easier to deal with her having died to affect uh, Nightwing than it is to have her live and have to discuss whether she remains as part of the Titans or if she has to leave and deal with that separation. I, my answer to that is that Starfire, the, like the very tension that you're talking about is exactly why she's dead. Because you wouldn't have just been able to expel her from the equation without resistance from the Titans because she is one. But the other houses are clearly, at least the ones we've talked about so far, much, much more powerful. Mm-hmm. And this is, a, this is an agenda that everybody has. So you'll hear more about how this plays out, but you'll notice Superman is also an alien. But ain't nobody oh, take him word. out of the equation. Word. Oh shit. Okay. Okay. Cool. We're cool. I also, I also think the death of Starfire, like we we touched on how, like, or you know, I touched on how that would piss Nightwing the fuck off. Right. But like, you got to think like she, along with Beast Boy, Cyborg, and Raven, like they're they're the core Titans. You know, yeah. Robin has his own things going on. They don't. Right. You know, they're their own little clique. So to you know, to have her be like the heart of the Titans, to an extent, like that crushes a lot of optimism mm. that Starfire really provides, um, and you know, really drives them to a, a place where they will uh, a fight. And I and I, I think people would you know there are people who would say that this is an instance of fridging. I don't have any type of resistance to that argument, although I don't feel like the concept of fridging is always inherently a negative or bad thing. I think you know sometimes death is the catalyst of story, um, or it can be can you know move characters forward. In this case, that's what Moore was doing. I don't think he had some agenda against Starfire. Although I will say, if you believe that he was um, frustrated by crisis on infinite earth and how that went 
and maybe didn't love the Titans, killing the heart of the team. Maybe that was a shot. Who knows? <laughs> Revenge. <laughs> you know, that's something we can't answer. Um, but that that's the House of Titans. That was cool. That is the House of Titans. We got more. We got several more. I'm going to try to run through these because, you know, there's there's a lot. Um, House of Mystery is up next. So this has nothing to do with the actual, like, the House of Mystery that, you know, existed before. It's just the name. Um, <clears throat> so I'll refer to more now. The house, This House of Mystery is built around Baron Winter's Georgetown Mansion and is the residence of a number of DC Supernatural characters. These include Jason Blood, a.k.a. the Demon, maybe the Spectre, Zatara? Yeah. Zatara? Is it Zatanna? It's Zatanna's father. Okay. Right. Oh, he would have died, though. Well, we got this. Keep going. Dr. Fate and a strange amalgam of Baron Winter and Dead Man. Baron Winter has had his mind burned out. <laughs> I love that. He had his mind burned out in a psychic battle some years earlier and is now just yes. an empty shell, except when he's inhabited by the spirit of Boston Brand, who uses the Baron's body as a kind of holiday home in the land of the living. The other person in the residence at this new house of mystery is a reformed Felix Faust. The supernatural presences at the huh. house have very little to do mm-hmm. with the outside world and have instead devoted their pooled knowledge and talents to pluming the depths of the universe's many mysteries, being all but inactive in the world of men. So for context, Baron uh, in Swamp Thing, both he and uh, Zatara were part of an exorcism that was trying to contain uh, some like larger elemental force. And uh, Zatara burst into flames, which is why I was confused that he'd be here because he's dead technically. And Baron, uh, there was like some psychic backlash that like just fried him. And uh, he goes brain dead. Um, so that's interesting because that plays into stuff that he has had in the past that he was writing about at that point. Wow. There you go. Okay, great context. That makes sense. It's, it says his uh, exact background is unknown, except he has an unexplained connection to the early biblical figures Adam and Eve. Interesting. Baron? Yeah. Huh. Hmm. Uh, and, and by the way, this the House of Mystery would have been where Raven felt she wanted to be. Yeah, and it makes sense. You think about someone who's been through what Raven has been through in her life. You think about the fact that the Titans are now a shell of what they were. They don't represent what they represented, and she is more powerful than she's ever been in her life. Why would she want to hang around these people when she can hang around these supernatural forces and you know figure out what else the universe has to offer? Earth is cooked. It <laughs> might as well do something different, right? Um. The House of Secrets is up next. This is has nothing to do with the former House of Secrets. This is where the villains are at. No, fuck. Yeah, this is where the villains are at. And it features Joker, Luthor, Gorilla Grodd, Captain Cold, Catwoman, Kronos, and Starfi- Star Sapphire. Uh-oh. Uh, and Dr. Savannah, and maybe a few other people. Moore was not sure exactly who else would be there. But I think when you look at this, this reminds me of like 
you know, very 80s, like Legion of Doom. Legion like, of Doom, that's, yeah. yeah. Those kinds of characters. Moore says the following about this. This house is powerful enough to defend itself against occasional attacks by the other hero-centered clans, but isn't otherwise especially active and thus tends to get left alone, largely because the province that these, hero- that these villains protect, somewhere up in the reaches of Nevada, is just as well looked after as the place controlled by the heroes, whereby hangs some sort of moral. So it's worth pointing out, for those of you who maybe didn't hear the last one, these houses are actually like civilizations unto themselves in the sense that regular people live there too. And they essentially are, the regular people, the humans, worshippers of these godlike figures. And the heroes take care of these areas in the way that heroes would. And I'm sure they have some kind of you know, way of maybe they have some caretakers that they employ or something like that to keep things in order, you know, um, to keep things looking decent. But there's no world government. There's no like governing body of the world or any specific country. It's all superheroes or in this case, villains. Let's move on to the House of Justice. This is the JLA or what's left of it. Because as you can probably tell, a lot of those characters have splintered off, splintered off. Yeah. The lineup of the Justice League at the time of our story includes Captain Adam and the Blue Beetle, an Aqualad that has grown up to be the new Aquaman, and a Wonder Girl who has taken on the mantle of Wonder Woman after Wonder Woman herself opted out to become Superwoman upon marrying Superman. In addition to this, there is the Flash, Wally West, and the new female Flash, Slips, Slipstream. And he says, although I prefer the name Joni Quick, but this is by the by. Joni Quick. Oh, that's funny. There's also Captain Comet and a new female Dr. Light. Hmm. Then you have the House of Tomorrow. This house is essentially the house of the characters who are known to time travel in DC. So the Rip Hunters, um, and I say Rip Hunters because they're all stuck here. Uh, If you remember, the Time Trapper set a trap which is what trapped yeah. Rip Hunter and the Legion of Superheroes, this is where they're all, they all decided to like hang out together. Um, Jonah Hex is here. Space Ranger's here. Um, they're all trying to figure out how to get the hell out. That's basically what this house is about. That's funny. <laughs> the last... I yeah. don't want to deal with it. Right. Yeah, like we got we to gotta go. This is nuts. What, uh, what was the name of that house? Oh, this is the House of, um, the house of uh, Tomorrow. Oh, okay. The last house we have to talk about is the House of Lanterns. Very interesting stuff going on with the House of Lanterns. So the Green Lanterns use alien power to protect various sectors of space. There are many Green Lanterns, of course. A handful of those are human beings, especially if you go back to the mid-80s. Most of them are human beings at this rate. Am I right? Sure. Yeah, right. (laughs) So that would obviously cause some problems when humanity and the other superheroes are trying to remove aliens from the equation. So Hmm. here's more. The House of Lanterns, at the time our story opens, is abandoned and shattered. 
since all the Green Lanterns, being self-confessed agents of an alien power, the Guardians, have been banished from Earth during the anti-alien purges mentioned earlier, which resulted in Starfire's death, and which also resulted in the banishment from Earth of the Martian Manhunter, the Hawks, and any other alien characters I might have forgotten. Superman, since his own alien culture no longer exists, and since he has lived on Earth since infancy, has been made a citizen of the United States, and is thus exempt. Anyway, while the House of Lanterns no longer exists upon Earth, an emergency House of Lanterns has been set up on one of the moons of Mars. Here, the exiled Green Lanterns conspire with the other space powers, including the Rons and the Thanagarians, to restore their power on Earth. Wow. The space powers, knowing through their intelligence resources of the imminent joining of the House of Steel and House of Thunder by marriage, are afraid that such a union will enable the Super-slash-Marvel family to bring all the houses under control and unify Earth, Earth excuse me, as a resourceful planet ruled by a pantheon of invincible gods. The space people fear that such an empire might soon set its sights upon territories that are currently the province of the Hawks, Guardians, or Martians. The actual Green Lanterns residing on the House of Lanterns at this time are a reformed Sinestro, Carol Ferris, and Guy Gardner, Green Lanterns of Earth, Soto, Yol- Soto Yacht, the Daxamite, quote, ultimate Green, ultimate Green Lantern, whose existence I hinted at in the story me and Kevin did for the Green Lantern Corps annual, and maybe an aging Tomar Ray, just because I'd like to see what parrot men look like when they get old. Oh, so... Wow. What we just learned is actually a crux of the story of Twilight of the Superheroes because it is about these aliens trying to stop, and not just them, other people as well, trying to stop the joining of the two houses because they fear that that could lead to a, a conquest of space as well as Earth. That is fascinating. And and it makes sense, right? Because, like, the irony being Green Lanterns as the protectors now protecting from the, the, the rest of the, the sector from this pl- problem planet that they once prioritized. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Fascinating. Wow. I love That's it. That's so cool. I love it. The, um, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, Aaron did ask... Um, sorry if I didn't hear it, but for the story, was there a main character for the book? Um, I think we chat through that in the first piece, but it, it, there's no like central POV necessarily, right? Yeah, the central point of view characters, the characters who we see the story through, uh, are Rip Hunter and uh, uh, Constantine. Oh, right, right, okay. Yeah, and they're 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 big parts of the framing device, and then. This version of Con- the Constantine that um, that lives in the Twilight of the Superheroes era is an older man right. who meets Rip Hunter and then tells him, "Hey, man, like we gotta, um, like we gotta stop this. Basically, and do something about this shit." Yeah. So now. Um, there are a lot of other relevant characters who have varying degrees of um, import to the story. Um, I want to talk about Batman hmm. really quick. So 
No, this is from what, uh, this is from Moore's notes. Quote, nobody's actually seen him for years. He's rumored to be around. He's rumored to be active and rumored to be doing something. But nobody knows what or even really if he might have died years ago. Hmm. I'm not going to say anything more about Batman. Ugh. (laughs) Because that is where we will begin next week when we talk about when we talk about more of the story whether or not Batman's alive or dead what he might be doing if he is alive and if he's alive who he might be working with so lots of huh. questions to answer about that wow damn also next week we're going to get into uh at least I think we're going to get into some of the 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 like real life meta things that were happening when this document was found which will take us into the 90s into 90s internet and how a journalist who is still alive today and who still works in comics today had a major influence over how the story of the twilight of superheroes was told now i promised that i would show you guys an image Drawn by a more collaborator that represents um, what you know what some of these characters might have looked like, and so I will do that here in just a moment. This image is drawn by Don Simpson, and this is an image of what the primary members of the House of Thunder might have looked like, and you should be able to see that now. This is by Don Simpson, drawn in '99, and we have, we have um... some nazi. <laughs> Damn, that's a short ass dress. I know. <laughs> what are you covering with that? Uh, not a lot. And if there's a breeze, we might be uh, seeing a lot more than we bargained for. Whoa! <laughs> Jeez, uh, you talk about her short ass dress. You got. Captain Marvel's whole wiener sticking through his. <laughs> <laughs> you ever see the uh, the ambiguously gay duo from Saturday yeah, Night Live? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this very much reminds me of that. Yeah. Um. So we're looking at an image of uh, Captain Marvel, Mary Marvel, and I I am assuming that that is Captain Marvel Junior, not yeah, the son happen. of them, but the. The um the you know whatever what's his real name Freddie, yeah Freddie yeah Freddie. He looks like Elvis, right? Uh, I can see that. That's on purpose. It is. Is that yeah? Okay. Um. Elvis and Captain Marvel Junior were like, like in real history. Elvis was a massive fan of Captain Marvel Jr. Oh, wow. And thus, through comics, Captain Marvel Jr. has been made a massive fan of Elvis. That's time so, has gone That's on. so cool. I did not oh, know that. Oh, that makes sense in the movie then. They make they yeah. make jokes about it. Oh, oh. okay. Yeah, yeah, they weren't jokes. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's uh, Baz Luhrmann genuinely tried to make Elvis a superhero style movie in that vein Mm. oh wow okay 
And, and, and it makes even more sense when you look at this image and you see that um, Mary Marvel is saying the House of Thunder, also known as Graceland. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So pretty cool. Yeah, Tom, uh, Hound in the chat says uh, uh, they are very 90s re- renditions. Yeah. Very, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Peak 90s renditions. Um, I I don't – I would love to know, like – and maybe this is something we can talk about in the future, but, like, who the artist should have been or could have been or, you know, who would have been the right person to do this story. Not um, this guy. <laughs> Too much wiener. <laughs> Uh, I, I I don't I don't disagree. Um, I don't disagree at all. But yeah, this is this is the only thing we really have to go off of. A lot of other artists have done their renditions. I didn't want to share them because a lot of them are people who are just fans that wanted to show off what they thought these characters might have looked like. And I don't want to steal from them or anything like that. And oh, you know, I felt like Don Simpson at least he had some connection to Alan Moore, so I did like mm-hmm. that. Um, Tom Scioli, who is an artist uh, and writer, wrote Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics, actually put up a a video on YouTube called Alan Moore's Interminable Ramble, which is what a lot of people refer to this as. Um, And in it, he showcases some of his renditions of what these characters might have looked like. So it's a lot less. It's a lot more low to the ground. But if you're interested, you know, that exists. But that, that's that's yeah. I love it. I love it. I'm so yeah. I'm so hyped. I think we've got two or three more of these to go. So two or three more deep dives into Alan Moore's Twilight of the Superheroes. If you're enjoying it, please do let us know. Um, we appreciate all the the feedback that we get on this. Uh, if you have questions that you want us to try to answer throughout, send them in because I can you know we can deal with that. We can bake those in. Uh, Atomic actually put a question in that got lost in chat, but does does this enhance or diminish Alan Moore in terms of legacy? Um, he said question for next week, so maybe we incorporate that. That's an interesting question. That's actually um, that's something that's been on my mind in general with this and something mm. that I kind of wanted to address at the end. Mm. Okay. Because there are people whose worldview or whose view of Alan Moore is colored by this, even mm-hmm. though it never came out, which I do think is unfair. But we'll talk more about that in the future. Thank you guys so much for listening. Before we cut out, if you would, if you would uh, make sure you leave a like on the video if you're watching on YouTube, follow if you haven't, consider subscribing on Twitch. Uh, you can do that with your Amazon Prime slash Twitch Prime subscription. Uh, also consider supporting us on Patreon where for as little as $3 a month you get access to our newsletter which each one of us um, one a week one goes out Um, we also have the ability to vote in book clubs anything that we put out like a book club comics versus anything like that is exclusive to Patreon first then it rolls out later on so you do get early access over there get a shout out on the show as you guys heard earlier a superhero nickname and a shout out direct access to the pals um if that you know means something to you and sneak, uh, sneak peeks to stuff like this exactly um as well as content that um uh we are trying out and uh you know 
uh, a whole new formats of stuff. There's a whole other side of us you haven't even heard if you've never heard Palling Around. Oh, that's true. Our, yep. Our exclusive yep. show over there. So, um, you know, encouraging you guys to take a look at that if you haven't. If you want to watch this show live, that's Twitch and YouTube every single Saturday at 10, 15 a.m. Eastern. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern for Palace Pulls. Listen to my interview with Kyle Starks. Kyle Starks, the writer of I Hate This Place and uh, Where Monsters Lie. I thought it was a great conversation. It's a little over an hour, so give that a listen if you're so inclined. For everything else at the Comics Palace, Gail Simone endorsed Comics Palace, Whoa. by the way. Whoa. That's going on the bio. Hell yeah. Uh, plugs, Kale. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Comics Pals. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto in Toe. That's T O T O I N T O W. You can find my work at KaleWord.com. That's C A L E W A R D.com. Um, I got a backflip to do, man. I don't know. Ugh, terrified. God, I'm scared. Y'all muted? Yeah, you mute. Am I having a oh, struggle? Oh, I'm sorry. Right I was typing. <laughs> um, I think you'll be all right, Kale. And if you're not, yeah. it's content. <laughs> yeah. And if you're not, uh, live from the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, we've hit 1,000 subscribers. Uh, my my life has basically been uh, uh, sacrificed to the content gods now. <laughs> Shit, this makes us YouTubers. Uh-oh. Oh, man. I, I Mom! That. I don't know about you, but I've been a YouTuber since day one. This Ugh. is what I've wanted the entire time. Ugh. <laughs> Marco. You can follow me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I've taken a break from One Piece, actually. It, it, it finally transitioned to a point where I had to watch on a separate platform because it finished on Netflix and... So I, I fell off for a hot sec, um, but otherwise uh, I've been uh, I've been catching up on reading a lot of poetry um, and some philosophy here and there. Uh, so if you're a fan of um, uh, I got some Bertrand Russell and then Sam Harris on discussions about like AI and um, uh, what else has he touched on and religion been my big thing. So you know. Chat me up if you want to talk about that kind of stuff. Chat GPTM up. Chat GPT for me up because that shit is fire. The new update just released. I haven't played with it yet, but uh, I'm planning on to. How do you know it's fire? Uh, the, the prompts that people have been putting out and like the, the ways to optimize your interface with it has been very cool. As for me, uh, I am thinking about what's next after twilight of the superheroes once we've wrapped that up what do we do next i don't know give us your suggestions we already got one suggestion that i thought was pretty juicy um i enjoy the test of going back and learning about things that i don't know about and don't have context for and figuring out if i can t share what i'm learning in a way that's compelling so if you've got something that you think is juicy that you think I probably don't know about. And maybe I know about it, but I don't know the full story. If you think there's a story worth telling, submit it. Submit it. Maybe we'll do it. Thank you, guys. Oh, go ahead, Kale. Yeah, never mind. I'm going to say it out loud. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I went, ooh, this will be a great joke. 
And then I hit like that last word of it and I went, don't do that. <laughs> Were you going to accuse me of being a racist like Tyler did on Thursday? <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Until next week, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys.